action right here on Monday Night Show. You want a war? You're going to get one. You fans can stick it, brother. Brett screwed Brett. This is bullshit! And I also appreciate the fact that, hell, you can kiss my ass. One thirty-eight of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke, alongside Carl Jones. Evening all. And Kieran O'Rourke. Evening all. I didn't do an intro. And we are back this week for the latest in the Monday Night War timeline series, ladies and gentlemen. Talking October of nineteen ninety-nine, covering every Raw, every Nitro, every pay-per-view with backstage news and notes from the Wrestling Observer and Pro Wrestling Talks newsletters of the time. Uh, of course, this uh, this timeline seems to go down very well, gentlemen. We've been doing this for the last few weeks in particular, could have been August and September, looking at the uh, maelstrom of, of news and changes that have been going on, especially in WCW. Uh, for those of you who haven't been able to uh, follow us recently, or if you just discovered us recently, you can, of course, go to the archives at squaredcirclegazette.com, where we archive every show we've ever done, every episode of this timeline so far, along with the uh, SCG trials and a litany of other random topics. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you should buy Crazy Like a Fox, the definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman, 20 years later, authored by yours truly. Wrestling Observer award-winning book, by the way. Best wrestling book of 2017. Check it out. You can get it on paperback or on Kindle. And Bret Hart's got a copy of this now, by the way. Did he buy it? No. (laughs) Shouldn't have asked me that. (laughs) You were making three million a year, Bret. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, uh, like I said, as always, we've got so much to talk about here on the timeline. October of 99, as we left off, uh, Eric Bischoff had been canned in September, and WCW had been kind of floating ever since under the kind of guidance of the likes of Craig Leathers, Kevin Nash, Kevin Sullivan, and the other luminaries like Mike Graham, who were just there to kind of take a box gin. Yeah, yeah, just on Mike Graham. In, in line with sort of watching this timeline, I decided to watch the rise and fall of... WCW oh, DVD, but it's not a great DVD. It's trash. I grant you, but you know, I needed some background noise whilst I was doing things on the computer, and you know, it's the first DVD I grabbed. The shamelessness of Mike Graham needs to be stated again and again and again. Yeah, the way he takes credit for almost everything, anything good, it's criminal. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah. criminal. The fact that that was put on air for us all to digest all these years is is just, is just as bad a, a crime. Complicit. Oh, absolutely. Um, ten pages of notes in the Wrestling Observer and Torch newsletters to get to, so let's get to it. Lots of big stories to talk about this month. Uh, we'll kick it off on October 1st, of course, uh, where the WWF filed a breach of contract lawsuit against Martha Hart and the estate of Owen Hart asking for dis- dismissal of Martha's wrongful death lawsuit against the WWF damages in excess of $75,000 plus lawyers fees for a breach of contract and at worst a change of venue of the Hart lawsuit to Connecticut. The WF's grounds for the lawsuit are based on Owen Hart's signed contract from 1996 which requires that any and all claims, disputes or other matters in relation that arise from the contract have to be adjudicated in Connecticut. Uh, One of Hart's attorneys responded by saying it also says in the contract that the contract expires upon death. We treat it as null and void because it expired upon his death and he's obviously dead. (laughs) The legal question is that whether the contract signed by Owen Hart applies after death to Martha. Titan continued to send Martha Hart paychecks on Owen's contract for approximately 14 weeks after his death, apparently to show that the contract was still valid and applied to her. Martha Hart returned all of the checks uncashed, trying to show that it didn't. Bit of a... How to, how to win the PR war, eh? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> all Martha <laughs> your, had to do. Your spouse is dead... 
and we're gonna and see we're, the widow. And we're kind of at fault for it, but we don't. Kind want to, of. But we don't want to. I'm done taking their stats. Kind of. That's that's the most of the ammunition you're gonna get from that company. Um, but we don't really want to take the blame for it. I know, by the way, in his passing, we now have you under contract. <laughs> yeah, you, you belong to us, and you're sued. Yeah. Vince probably genuinely believed that as well. Oh yeah, of course he did. I guess the moral of the story is if Vince wants to put WWF flowers on your grave, just let him. <laughs> just let him. Uh, October 2nd, the WWF uh, Rebellion pay-per-view takes place from jolly old England over here. Uh, a show that really had no no real note, apart from one storyline feature that comes in regularly here, in the, the British Bulldog throwing a bin at the head of Stephanie McMahon and giving her amnesia. Which Any does... fond memories of this show? No, and neither does Stephanie. Um... <laughs> Let's be honest, though. We've all wanted to throw a bin at her head at some stage. Yeah. If not something... A couple times this month, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- those shows are just throwaway shows. They, they always have been when they come over here for the pay-per-views outside of SummerSlam and and, uh, and the first... One night only. only. Um, they're just generally a ploy to get us to stump up money from Sky Box Office because we normally got them through the subscription anyway. Yes. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, however, as minor a story as that is, a bigger one occurs the next day, October 3rd. We mentioned how a phone call was made. Just, just to go back. Very... Oh, no, go, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. All right. Yep, tie yep. in nicely. Okay, perfect. October 3rd, Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara, the men who are responsible for writing the WDF television shows that have been drawing huge ratings for the past year, abruptly quit the company and signed with WCW over the weekend. Russo and Farrar were both working without contracts with the WWF, which was a stunning oversight, apparently because Vincent Mann was of the belief they weren't a threat to leave, despite many people suggesting to WCW that they hire Russo to write television. The split took several weeks to materialise, with the final blow being about six weeks into the new schedule uh, of adding SmackDown, when Vince Russo went to McMahon and asked for a raise to roughly double what he had been making, which would have put his salary well above most, if not all, of the vice presidents in the company. Russo argued that if a TV writer was given a second show to write, he'd be compensated for it with an entirely new deal for the second show. Russo, even though his workload doubled, wasn't offered a raise. Apparently a man uh, told him he'd get back to him with his request to double his pay, and he came back with a completely different answer than he was hoping for. Uh, Russo, who had known J.J. Dillon from Dillon's days in the WWF, called him to set up a dialogue with Bill Bush, who was uh, the person who was put in charge of uh, replacing Eric Bischoff, October the 1st. Bush then flew him in on October 2nd, and after 10 hours of negotiations, they put the deal together on the day, which was then signed on the 3rd. Russo called Vincent Mann at 10pm Sunday night, just after he returned into the country after the uh, the England pay-per-view, and told him that he was leaving for the competition over a 45-minute phone call. Uh, The WWF broke the news on its website about 10 minutes later. Russo himself said that the removal of Eric Bischoff as the head of WCW opened the door in his mind to set the wheels in motion for the move. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this story in a second because there's, there's more notes. But uh, can just you imagine, from that, can you imagine being in negotiations with Vince Russo or talking to him about absolutely anything for ten hours? Fuck yeah, no. and still giving him the job <laughs> and yeah. not killing him. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, not figuring it out. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. You feel like a list needs to be compiled of the guilty men here, and Bill Bush and JJ Dillon are going to be somewhere near the top of that list from the sounds of it. Mm. Um, Unless you're the judge. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> God knows. You can't hold a grudge forever, Liam. You know, I, I let things go. Um, <laughs> Sincerely, Mike Graham. <laughs> <laughs> evidently. Don't listen to the first five minutes of the podcast, please. <laughs> um, 
yeah, uh, Vince isn't really wrong in the sense of they're not a threat to the show. Well, a threat to leave, maybe they're not a threat to the show. The timing of this, this is the one part, as, as much of a maroon as he is, the genius of the timing is actually the true genius of, of Rusev. Because remember, the week before is when they'd done the Raw where he'd done the 8.4 with, mm. with Rock and Mankind. Yeah. So like it's like that's oh my god this record breaking segment. It's so this, this is TV. before they Raw runs Atlanta then. Yes. Ah, yeah. I did wonder about the timing of that. Okay. Yes. But um, <clears throat> God, I almost hate saying this, but in fairness to Russo, <gasps> fucking hell. No, 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 no. There's there's no sort of punchline here. Honestly, if if, if there's a a completely new show and his workload has doubled oh yeah who who wouldn't in their right mind go and ask for a pay rise and dare I say is it entirely possible he's already got an idea like you say they've negotiated for 10 hours but maybe someone has alerted him to the fact of this is what they'd probably be willing to pay you over here so I'll go to Vince I'll ask for double yeah. don't get maybe, it maybe you know I probably don't get it but I know I've got roughly this over here and then if he does double it anyway, quid's in. Well, this is where Russo's a moron, because instead of just actually, you know, taking the off and going to Vince to get the money, I mean, the, the big thing was, and he did a lot of PR after this week, and he talked about... Oh, wow, the, absolutely. He did, and he's talking a lot about how he hated the addition of SmackDown because he thought that basically he was going to burn through all of his ideas. Because <laughs> that's all. Yeah. All is finite. Yes, and he wants to show restraint and, you know, <laughs> take a steady approach to these things. Yeah, and he thought they didn't have the, the depth, the star power, the numbers to make up the amount of uh, television they're going to be churning out. More, more, more. There might be some truth to that. In recent weeks, uh, as the notes continue here, Russo's relationship with Steve Austin had deteriorated. Uh, Russo himself categorised Austin as the hardest person to work with in the company, feeling that since Austin's popularity skyrocketed after working hard for so many years in the business, he was deathly afraid his popularity would fall back to the same level just as quickly. The major heat of late was Russo booking Austin in the programme to elevate Jeff Jarrett, and Austin turning it down feeling such a programme with a guy who wasn't over at main event level would diminish his popularity, and McMahon and Jim Ross both both sided with Steve Austin in the dispute. Uh, those in the WWF felt that Russo and Ferrara in the following week did a masterful job of getting the story out in the media, but were taking far too much credit for the company's turnaround. While there was no denying the hours and success of what Russo accomplished, the feeling was that Ferrara's achievements were being completely overplayed. There were numerous angles that Russo and Ferrara came up with that McMahon considered too far out, and he frequently heavily edited their material to where there was rarely a week where the formats came up uh, that weren't heavily redone on Mondays, right up to the last minute with McMahon, to the point new formats virtually every week had to be printed. There is talk that without an editor like McMahon to keep them in check, that those mistakes will air in WCW. Ah, I'm sure that's just, you know... Happenstance with the crack and rumor staff, with the crack staff in Atlanta who yeah. rule with an iron fist. With, with that, they can't even intercept an email. With, 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 <laughs> with that admin team, what can go wrong? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just again, I, I, I'm sure he was valued in his job, but it says with a laugh. But if they were that valued, you, they probably had contracts. <laughs> just, yeah, just probably <laughs> in this era probably would have I'm bear, saying bear in mind Vince has been burnt by that before with Luger you know and there's plenty of precedent prior to this so yeah if, if he had any 
real concerns about losing them in any fashion. He'd have had them tied down to something more concrete. For the present time, the television writing for the WWF will be in the hands of Terry Taylor, Bruce Pritchard, Bill Banks, who was a writer for the uh, the magazines, and Kevin Kelly. Oh, it worked last time, these writers from the magazines. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not bringing another one. I was going to say, very Pritchard. Good. Yeah. yeah. I can go wrong. I just wonder if the... Uh, I suppose, is the good time there? This the, the concussion angle which they started over the... Uh, over the weekend with Steph, yes. what was in what was Russo's intention for this? Because I'm sure he had a lot of wackiness lined up. Oh, I'm sure he did. Um, with the forgetting of Tess, that was going to go somewhere. He was going to who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. She's probably going to end up marrying Patterson or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shane. Shane. They love that incest angle. She, he was ideas. the first one. Yeah, he was the first one she saw. Or maybe mm. maybe he kissed her on the cheek, and that's when she comes out the coma. Yeah. Oh, there you go, Russo. Some gold boy. Brilliant. Your next job. Yeah, next time. <laughs> God, let's hope it's not next time. But yes, I mean, at the time, I mean, did you have any? I mean, this was at the time. I remember, like, I would read um, this like a month later in like, the magazines. I didn't really know, like, Russo and Ferrara, the writers are leaving. Okay. No, at the time, I was completely oblivious to the notion that they'd left the company. I didn't really notice any any discernible difference, but possibly because of age. Um, watching Raw. I felt like it had been treading water prior to them leaving, and I, as we'll get to it, I think much of it does uh, for this following month as well. Nitro, on the other hand, yeah, there's a discernible difference, and I just found it confusing this reference to. The writers are coming! The writers are coming, the top of the hour stuff that we'll get to, and and the whole Bagwell, the Parker thing. It was all just. At that age, how old have I been there? In, in my teens, anyway. Yeah. I just found it all just confusing. It confuses me now. <laughs> oh well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, st- I'm still confused by it. But at the time, not trying to watch it through any sort of analytical lens, you just sort of sit and think, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um. So we'll take that and we'll move along now to October fourth, where we do have the first Raw and Nitro of the month. Uh, we'll kick it off with Nitro first. Dean Malenko pins Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, in uh, the first match on the show when Shane Douglas comes into the ring with a chain uh, Saturn runs in and grabs the chain from him Saturn and Douglas start arguing and it looks like Saturn's about to hit Douglas with a chain as Shane pantos it up in the ring Oh! and then Saturn turns on Mysterio hits him in the head with the chain uh, Malenko doesn't know and gets in the ring and pins him this actually this match is fucking great this is the match where they do like a lot of the spots from like, the, the, the Great Oak and Bash when Ray debuted but this crowd yeah. is eating up Ray yeah it's it's quite the change to see uh, a live audience at Nitro with with a bit of energy to the early doors but just think about what you said there go back to the spots from the Great American Bash in 1996 it's a good match don't get me wrong but when you sit there and watch and you think in in terms of seeing people progress and and the whole idea of, of sort of momentum or stagnation you just sit there and think they're in the exact same position they were three years ago Except one of them doesn't have a mask now. Well, yeah, but look at this whole show though. That's kind of been the MO of the show. They've, oh yeah. So they got yeah. They, they've regressed. They got them two having awesome openers. You've got Hoagie in the yellow. You've got the outsiders walking down, sitting in the crowds. Bill's going through S title again. It's like <laughs> they've just turned the clock back to the past at various points, and let's roll with that and see how it goes. What before? Yeah. Uh, after the match, of course, Malenko acts like he's mad when he sees the finish of the video uh, on the video wall, and he helps Ray to his feet, and they raise hands. So, uh, developing story here, where there's a bit of the dissension, the revolution here. 
Shane Douglas, the kind of poison pills, it seems. Um, Psychosis comes wandering out as the Cruiserweight Champion. In the format, Lenny Lane was supposed to defend the title as Lenny Lane, uh, as opposed to simply Lenny. Then he got completely red flagged, and Psychosis got a win in a match that never took place. Uh, they announced that Psychosis had won the belt, pointing out that never had Psychosis held the belt as a masked wrestler, when in fact he did. Uh, they're trying to get over the fact that he lost how he lost the match and it changed his career for the better mm. yeah. Heenan was especially uh, enjoyable <laughs> yeah. this, this is the one that I think there's a point in this one was it uh, Hoobie and, and Psychosis uh, was it in this segment or later on yeah that's coming and little comments on uh, <laughs> they're putting over how successful that these guys have been since they lost the masks you know Psychosis done nothing in his career, and you know he lost he lost his match last week, and now he's the cruiserweight champion. It's like amazing turnaround. And, um, and then what happens four minutes later? <laughs> oh, pop me! We lose the title. Well, you know the disco. <laughs> easy come, easy go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, I think there's one point. Um, it, it's probably later. It is later on. Uh, Psychosis and Hoovy are in the same vicinity, and they're talking about the masks again. And Hina goes, "Light the masks," and <laughs> and Shivani goes. Well, yeah, it did make him stand out and make him look different. As Hoovy and uh, Psychosis looking exactly the same, back to you know, with the camera to their backs, it's like yeah. these two long-haired, uh, short Mexicans. So, valid point there. Valid point. <laughs> Perhaps not all of them should have been unmasked. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not all of them. Uh, so, of course, Disco, the new cruiserweight champion. Out of nowhere, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash show up in the crowd to a pretty big reaction, and uh, a suspicious amount of Hall and Nash signs in the crowd. By the way. I wasn't buying that for a fucking second. No, and, and completely... Bring back Hall and Nash! And they're all written in the same font as well, you know? It's like... Yeah. And it almost looks like one person's done them all, and, almost. And Scott Hall with a classic example of lacking in self-awareness with his promo. Well, Bobby Heenan goes over to interview them as they sit... Of course, Kevin Nash is cool, he's sitting next to a black girl. They're fucking... These pair... Acting like a oh they're so obnoxious trying to act cool I thought, was it see a fucking pair of Kardashians acting like complete cunts <laughs> yeah uh, Nash has got nothing to say nothing completely no. vacuous giggling talking to each other trying to be uh, funny trying to act cool it's like you are not cool man you... Scott Hall's got something because he really doesn't give a fuck and yeah like you said completely oblivious to the uh, you know the, the kind of nature of what he is he interviews them and uh, basically just says you know are you coming back are you coming back and Holder says is it fun yet <laughs> yeah yeah uh, isn't there some reference to him carrying the company as well yeah which as we've seen from those uh, Mike Graham quarter hours was not the case he <laughs> did have a good line about how Nash is currently working to a time and angle I didn't enjoy that and then he basically said when Heenan said that it was fun right now all replies with well you must not have been in the dressing room lately <laughs> yeah powerful words we're shooting folks yeah, well, it's, this is this is small fry compared to what we got coming up later. Baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> Sid pins Brian Adams. Brian fucking... Adams can finally do a job. Yeah, you fucking loser. The demon paint's gone. Rick Steinis is wandering around in the middle of the match, helping him double power oh, bomb just, finish. Just, just cheating in front of the referee. Well, it's his little niche, so you know. Um, at one point, Billy Kidman comes out of the shower with Toy Wilson. Good kid. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good for lad. him. Good lad. Yeah. <laughs> good for him. Uh, which, of course, leads to he's being, you know, he gets a call out for his match with Juventud Guerrero, which Juve uh, wins and does the people's elbow for the first time. <laughs> and the reaction to this. It's so weird. It is so weird. It's like a. It's the same reaction. I remember this vividly when this happened at the time. Where he does it, it's like. He stands there, he does the deal, he runs off the ropes and does the elbow. The but worst like, elbow. You're not. Yeah, it's terrible. And you're kind of absorbing it as it happens. Like. 
What's he doing? And then he does the elbow, and you realise he's just a fucking people's elbow. And then he goes right up to the camera and says, yeah. "I know my role," or something like that. <laughs> Words to that effect. Let's reference wrestlers are over. Why not? <laughs> it's bask, st- bask in their reflected glory. Yeah, but this this reaction and this this WCW they'll do anything to get a reaction at this point. Mm. Um, it's like this. A grumble of, oh, yeah. well, it's like a cheer, like yeah, it's the people. Boo! It's not. They're not sure what they want to do. They recognise it because that's the thing that they want to pop for it because it's what oh, the rock man. does. Yeah, that guy's really cool. He does that, and we just saw it on our show. But why is this guy doing it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's very much a groan in that sort of sense of, oh, we're not at Raw, are we? <laughs> it is a total Bush League groan. That's it, what is, it is. It is. And only time, by the way, on the Bush League runs. We talked before about how you couldn't really tell words the effect of what Hoover was saying. Hoovy wins this match. Alfred Psychosis goes and gives him a big hug. And Hoovy does the thing where he's talking to the camera and says, We're better than nobody. <laughs> Tough words from the juice. We then get to the main thread of, uh, of this show, and it's actually something that they've been teasing for a while. It's Bret Hart and Chris Benoit in the Owen Hart tribute match. They kind of had, uh, many, they, they'd shown the video of Bret uh, earlier on, which was kind of the, the, the video they'd shown before. Uh, back in I want to say July at the, the Georgia Dome show they showed that video again Bretton Benoit straight match goes like 25 minutes or something no, 27 minutes something like that but uh, fantastic I mean this actually had a lot of good wrestling on this show Malenko Mysterio Hoobie Kidman and then this which everybody remembers uh, Harley Race is there to do the intros and yeah well with, with it obviously being Kansas and, and being the, the site of the, the site of, death yeah, yeah Kemper Arena yeah so uh, Bretton wins with a sharpshooter and does the little salute which Seeing that in slow motion, that was sad. I don't know why. It's just kind of when I watch, it's like, God damn it! What a fucking sh-. like in the middle of this fucking. I think it's because I was watching this. You know, we're in the middle of this timeline, and we're getting all these notes, and it's like just seeing something like that in the middle of it all. It's just like fucking hell. Like something's actually like mean something. Yeah. Something of relevance. And yeah. Gravitas happens. Yeah, in the really. real world connect to this shit show. It's like, it's fuck, just what are you sadness. doing here, Brett? They obviously talk about it during the match, and they have Tanae on commentary for this as well. But it's just again, it's it's quickly forgotten about. It. Like you say, it's a moment of gravitas, and you don't want to turn it into a storyline or something hokey. But you feel like you, you really want to emphasise the significance of it. And I I don't feel like they do. Mm. From a company that is just you know an absolute shower of shit and of, of confusion and lack of coordination. I was expecting them to do something insulting with this, and they really didn't. It was all right. They just let they just let it be. Yeah, they let it be. I think the start of says we're just going to call it as fans, signifying you know we're not going to be in characters talking bullshit. Apart from then, Hina goes, Hina goes, I'm not. <laughs> that was good. So they just tried to let them wrestle and didn't over egg it, and it was just really good. I'm surprised how slow it starts. A TV match, yeah. and then and it's, it's really, really jarring in this. It movie. is really is. It's it really, yeah. I know, it drew me in and draws you in like as it gets better. Like, a, I love the finish where Ben was just going for the cross space and Brett's just slowly moving his leg outside to try and pick that left leg up, right leg up, and just get the. And like, as soon as he gets it, everyone's like, "Oh, he's got the sharpshooter, clean finish, fucking lovely." Chris Benoit. My God, we got to talk about Benoit. Chris Benoit is such a fucking amazing professional wrestler. Yeah, he's so good. I know. It's like, like it's one of those things that makes you just shake I, your head whenever you watch him. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, God damn you, Chris Benoit! You are fucking amazing. I, lo- I loved him. <laughs> yeah, and like what? It doesn't matter where he's positioned, and what angle he's in, or what storyline, or what the match is. But you give him time. 
to work a match and he wins over every fucking crowd because yeah. his work is so fucking good he's well so that's good. the thing you made a great point off air uh, about a week ago about Benoit like during this time like, no matter where he's on the card if he comes out and he's over if he comes out and he's not if it's a cold crowd a hot crowd in the ring he'll win him over because yeah. he's just fucking he's just so good um, however <laughs> funny little note I wrote down here DDP pins Buff Bagwell clean with a diamond cut which I just laughed at it's like of all the fucking yo no one does a job on this show but his Buff laying down like a fucking starfish he's in the doghouse that made me laugh um, Hogan and Flair do a pretty shameless promo putting each other over here which is oh, like yeah. a very sad sight as they're doing each other's catchphrases and it's like at this point it just feels like the Legends tour uh, oh yeah uh, it's absolutely insufferable and you just you just want Flair to just kick him in the nuts yeah <laughs> really this is uh, both of them they just they both feel so dated now unfortunately Flair and Hogan in the main event do in fact beat Sting and uh, Total Package with when, a ton of shit thrown in the ring at the end yeah Hogan leg drops Sting Page tries to interfere but uh, Luger racked him thinking it was Ric Flair which what a mistake <laughs> uh, and the, the other thing of, of note the end of the show is the show long skip with Goldberg and Sid with the car the second week in a row where Goldberg parks in spot 22 and then oh, Sid's gonna you know he's calling the people to get him Goldberg moves his car he's rude to, to oh, what's the guy's name the dude who moves Sid's car I can't, I can't, I can't think of it it's escaping me anyway yeah so he moves, he moves Sid's car to spot 22 and then at the end of the show he gets his keys back and gets told it's spot 22 he freaks out spot 22 spot 22 Jesus Christ he runs over and does the famous why me why me why me to end the show which is what we were all asking ourselves I thought Sid was great I thought she had incredible range he did he was great god damn it and then moving over to the USA Network for the October 4th edition of Monday Night Raw the British Bulldog Show as I've written down oh here. so much bulldog and so much bullshit <laughs> it opened with a four way match with the Acolytes beating the Holly Cousins the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac and Kane uh, I guess for maybe a future title match who knows uh, the referee ruled the X-Pac and Bradshaw with the legal men in when uh, Kane and I think pin, was pinning through at the same time Bradshaw pinned X-Pac they're doing this kind of weird thing this month where they don't want each other to help each other not a big fan of that mm. well it's you know, in comparison to what X-Pac meant two months prior to this it's it's like night and day it's sad he's been incredibly de-emphasised well it was all since the uh, Jim Ross called it when it was the taker beatdown on Park. He's killing his career. He's killing his career, and that was it. He was right. He's, he's like, right. He was yeah, it's like, well, he finally got a little bit of momentum, a little a, ch a chink. The door is open, just a chink for, for poor little Pack, and uh, yeah, beaten down to a pulp. Yes, yeah. yeah. there's Mark to slam it shut. Yeah, <laughs> as he's what? as he's one to do. Yeah. Uh, Mankind goes up to the rock backstage and breaks up their team, but the rock's on the phone and doesn't <laughs> realise. <laughs> he's like at the end of it, he's like, oh, I don't know, he's just half retarded. <laughs> Ignore him. Good retard gets bound around a lot on a these lot. shows. Yeah. Don't yeah. matter us, by the way, folks. Yeah, yeah different times. I meant to say this: these three shows we've done, there's a lot of stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable in retrospect. Oh my god, there's one. There's oh, definitely there's one this month. So much stuff. It's like there's one later yeah. this month that we'll come to. Um, the bulldog does his promo. The, this bulldog is probably the worst professional wrestler in the history of professional wrestling. I think. Is there a worse one? Name oh, a worse professional wrestler. Mongo never got the... the Kurgan? Mongo was a better promo. Mongo at least was funny. Yeah. Again, Kurgan, bigger. So you can at least have him stand there. Bulldog can barely walk. He can't walk. 
He's, he looks spaced out his eyes are fucking all he over probably the shop. is he, oh he's yeah. slurring like a fucker he's the this. worst promo in history and he's just atrocious so uh, he's promo he just comes out and he's fucking the music's terrible his yeah. fucking jeans jeans raw <laughs> is war t-shirt looking like the biggest fucking guy out of the crowd so that's what job was on metal wear yeah it was shameful he just comes out wanting a title shot no heat no, yeah, no one cares. No one cares about the bulldog here. It's, it's uncomfortable listening to him talk. He's so poor. <laughs> and then, just when you thought that it wouldn't get any worse, China comes out. Oh God! Who actually outpromoted the bulldog? Yeah. Imagine that. Um, wanting to have a fight with him tonight because bulldog is kind of um, on the 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 anti-woman kick as well. It seems here. China at this point is still coming out Triple H's music, which is very confusing. There's there's moments in this month where they're together, and there's moments when they're not, and mm. it's just yeah, very very odd. Not very clear. Stephanie, of course, has amnesia from getting the uh, the blow to the head from, te- from oh, the bulldog in England, and says that there will be no wedding tonight. It was originally scheduled uh, for I think next week at the Georgia Dome. With with Test sat there looking forlorn as Michael Cole's alongside him. Yeah, well, I understand it's that. Just it's just it's just shit. Yeah, it's terrible, and it just becomes more insufferable as the month goes on. Speaking of no heat, unfortunately enough, Edge and Christian beat the Hardy Boys, and uh, I think this is match one of the Terry Invitational tournaments. Crowd doesn't give a shit. No one knows who they are at this point. They're, yeah, they're jobbers. Yeah, jobbers well, and that guy Edge, you've got a bit of a push. He had a video at one uh, point, and always gets a bit of a girly reaction. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Um, Triple H does an interview. Uh, Austin was shown doing a taped interview since he wasn't there. Triple H ends up clotheslining Jim Ross out of his chair when uh, Ross kind of insults him. And Ooh. again, we're, we're really trying to get Triple H some heel steam here, but you have Jim Ross who everyone likes. Mm. Well, they do, they do pop big when he calls him son of a bitch. Yeah, which which leads to the clothesline, and they ends up putting him all over the ring. Um, Mankind backstage is talking about how he and The Rock... Oh, no, sorry, he comes out. Mankind and Rock together. Talking about how he and The Rock are one of the great legendary tag teams of all time, like the Funks, the Briscoes, and Skip and Zip, but are no more. And this leads to Chris Jericho coming out, making his uh, second interruption on The Rock, uh, and insults him tremendously. Rock then responds but I say, actually before we get to that there's the running from the fan like oh, I want to mention oh, yeah. it when the, the, the guy dressed as Jericho runs in the ring after Jericho does his speech about the Jericho-holics taking over you know, the people and all that stuff and the guy runs in dressed as Jericho and of course the, the camera just cuts to, to Jericho to ignore the fan in the ring and then Rock takes the mic back and goes by the way keep your jerk off dad at home yeah. <laughs> that was awesome um, he then talked about how he, uh, am I supposed to be impressed because you were beating up some jabroni named Hooventude Hooventude <laughs> which yeah and of course Cole and Lawler like, yeah, yeah. difference between the two companies right yeah. the every, WCW a chink of WF and let's reference them this one who who the fuck's who that the loser fuck is I, I do like Jericho's reaction to that though yeah, yeah. Jericho's, Jericho's, does I took his mask off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, like it means the world to him. Uh, that's good stuff. So, of course, they are set for a match tonight. Rock versus Jericho. Um, we get Dudleys versus Mankind Do Love, which are the Dudleys women with the 3D on Richards. It's, uh, it's Do Love is obviously Steve Richards in, in Getter. Um, Mankind is occupied by Val Venus. What a hot few this is. Over Venus putting the sock in his pants. Yeah. Rocker, yeah. 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 Not to be confused with Hawk's dummy friend from years past, by no. the way. Oh god, I forgot about that. I just want to say something. It's time to be impressive. Is there just what is it about Val Venus that I clearly don't see that others did? Then I didn't see. I never saw. Because I boy is a boy. Yeah, exactly. I just just don't. I don't get it. Uh, And they're they're clearly they're clearly trying with him this month. He's got size, good body. 
uh, and he's relatively young and and he's there so that's it that's, that's, yeah. it. that's it that's it that's really all there is to it um, Vince McMahon comes out as an interview this is, the, this is the company that pushed Billy not so long ago remember? yeah keep that in mind yeah, but Mr. Ass. Yeah, 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 but at least the ass man. At least he was part of a group that was over once before. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. not I'm, not, I'm not saying it was right to push him, but at least if you're looking for some sort of rationale, there was at least that that you can cling to. There is nothing with Val Venus, and there never has been. I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> so Vince is doing the interview asking for the, demanding the Bulldog come out and apologise what happened to Steph after he said no. Basically saying women have no place in the business which led to the China run-in. Kind of cribbing on Jarrett's uh, territory totally, here, by the way. Totally. Not a fan. Um, anyway, so yeah, as they're doing the thing, Vince then kind of chants into a confrontation and Smith just walks off rather than fight tough guy Vince. Lovely. Mm. And in the main event... The Rock pins Chris Jericho with the people's elbow. Uh, Rock gets out of the uh, the Lion Tamer, which is unnamed, uh, and kicked out of in- outside interference spots from Curtis Hughes. Jericho is really coming across, as far as he's being portrayed in the ring, as a mid-carder, says Dave Meltzer. Uh, after the match, Bulldog runs in. Uh, Vince throws the Bulldog into the ring, and Rock gives him a low blow to end the show. So Vince comes out, pretty much just kicks the shit out of the Bulldog, throws him in, Rock punches him in the dick, and we go off the air. I will say, I wasn't impressed with Jericho. In the ring this month and before, I see it. He's, he he looks out of place. It, it was interesting. Death. It did feel like you. He just in this match, it kind of struck me quite a bit. Yeah, he just didn't. He shrunk around the star power. Yeah, I, I just he, 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 he Yeah, I can't really. Is it, is it, is it possibly a, a pacing issue? I mean, let's remember up to this point, apart from sort of the. the feud with Saturn I suppose yeah, towards the end of his WCW run he has by and large wrestled as a cruiserweight wrestling people at a quicker pace and I wonder if there's maybe an issue there perhaps I think the, the it seems like the lack of is it, is it in, significance when he does like a like his transitions his, his punches and his, it's just very fluffy and it's not it's like he's playing wrestler that's how it feels to me he's playing wrestler no. Is that potentially then it, a couple of things? Is that a confidence issue because of his? Yeah, you know, he certainly had the. Uh, oh, his jet's been called since since his debut, and by the same token, he has run afoul in the locker room a couple of times that we mentioned on last month's timeline for purportedly being too stiff. Mm-hmm. So is it an overcompensation the issue there, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, working with one of the top but, guys. But I, I can certainly see what you mean. <clears throat> I can certainly see what you mean from uh, from watching it. The ratings were down across the board this week as the problems from overexposure have started to become apparent, says Meltzer. Raw did a 5.9 to Nitro's 2.9, so they are in the twos as they were last week. Well, there's a couple of things there just quickly. One, there's no Austin on the show. No. Which I attribute that to. Too much Bulldog is the second thing which I attribute it to. And more importantly, what were the numbers in the UK? We're still asking this question. <laughs> in hey, all of a sudden, maybe that's, maybe that's where Bullock got the push because they were so concerned about these minuscule numbers in the UK, people who don't actually pay for their product anyway at this point. They thought, let's bring the Bulldog in so we can at least beat them all in good old blighty. Maybe that was it, Carl. You don't think. See, you say that almost sarcastically, but Vince is just that petty. <laughs> in the UK. In the UK. 
Raw beat Nitro. It's the fucking bulldog. <laughs> it's the bulldog. <laughs> Uh, the show. The streak is <laughs> over. <laughs> the show in the first hour in America uh, showed the normal pattern of growth, uh, on par with it doing a rating well into the sixes. Uh, but there was a huge drop off as the show Raw peaked of all things with Ivory and Miss Kitty versus Moolah and Mae Young, which is a six point seven, destroying Billy Kidman and Juventus Guerrero, which did a two point one. Which tells you everything you need to know about what a four-star match means in the ratings these days. To uh, be fair, I will say, May, the rating there. May Young is uh, by far my favourite female wrestler of all time <laughs> this month. Just the bump she oh god, she's great. That one is it the title match when she's on the apron. She takes like and two. Ivy hits, hits her with the belt and she falls to the floor. And Lord is pissing himself. Oh, it's like... the funniest thing. Yeah, love it. <laughs> you just see her legs fly down. She's great. She's nuts. The Bret Hart Chris Benoit match, which went which went against all current television bylaws by going 27 and a half minutes, didn't come close to Raw's rating, but did see the audience increase 31% over the 30-minute period, um, which was which was from the 2.1 of the previous quarter to a 2.5 for the first half of the match to a 2.8 for the second half. Uh, in the main event battle, the WWF with Rock versus Jericho did a 5.6 final quarter and grew to a 6.5 in the overrun, whereas WCW with Flair and Hogan versus Sting and Luger did a 2.8. Those main event numbers for Nitro aren't looking too good lately. Oh, fucking hideous. Yeah. Uh, interesting little factoids from these two shows, actually. Russo, obviously he, he drafted the Raw and Smackdown uh, shows before he left. There's originally a note in there... Which we've already established, they always get changed anyway. They get changed anyway. Russo had originally scripted Jericho to beat The Rock in the main event on Raw, and the finish was changed after he left. So, uh, there you go. Also, Lenny and Lodi's characters were dropped uh, completely, obviously lost the Cruiserweight title out of nowhere, due to a letter from the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Glad are in the house. Uh, the first letter about Lenny and Lodi was actually sent to Turner in September, uh, and they were immediately called back by a Turner executive who told them the character would be dropped and that standards and practices had hired an executive whose job it would be to keep an eye on WCW. The timing of this is fantastic for Russo. Oh, Two weeks later, Lenny was back on Nitro anyway, and then Glad fired off another letter to Terry Tingle, the head of the standards and practices at Turner. Uh, Glad wrote, How many gay bashings and gay murders have to be committed in this country for you to remove such hurtful portrayals from your broadcasts? Did they give him a number? I don't know. <laughs> Possibly not, but Dustin Rhodes is on his way. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Glad, just out of curiosity, so it's the... Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. defamation. So is that two A's then? Yes. Yeah. So it's GLAD. GLAD. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Well, you Can know, we pronounce that going GLAD. Forward? GLAD. Yeah. All right. You got it. <laughs> well, we did hear from the village voice earlier in the timeline, so, uh, so it's, 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 it's only fair that we hear from the other end of the spectrum at this stage. We moved out to October the 5th the next day. A bit of sad news here. Draws was wrestling D'Lo Brown at the SmackDown tapings when they were setting up a running Liger bomb. Uh, Brown may have lost his footing and slipped, and because Drozdov's head was too low, the result was a terrible landing on his head, fracturing his neck, which has him paralysed below the waist. Uh, the injury, a tragic accident that can simply happen in any form of contact sport, partially because it was only five months after the death of Owen Hart and partially because it happened in New York, led to a lot of mainstream attention, none of it positive, on the wrestling industry. So this would be the end of Draws. Uh, unfortunately, his entire career is over here, and Delo's never the same either. Nah, no. Delo's the fire inside. Delo's he's been on the cusp anyway. He's, he's I think, a second guess a guy's mentality, but it's I think when this happens, he knows he's not. He, at one point, you know, he was a lot of people had him pegged for getting yeah. a, 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 a elevation of some description at least. 
and this is kind of he's, he's had no momentum they're not hot on him obviously the stuff of him and Henry is just you know, it's, it's, it's run it's scores and, and they've yeah. gone and he's, yeah trading water completely and now this happens and it's it's a fucking kick in the balls for obviously for draws and it's just an incredibly sad thing but for D-Lo's he just it never looks the same after this and no, it's no, the passion the fire in his face I feel yeah. very sorry both of them obviously yeah um, there are a lot of different plans as they pertain to the WCW television for the next year. There is talk of making Thunder a one-hour show and making Nitro a two-hour show. Cutting back on television time is a mixed economic bag. If WCW were to this week cut back from five primetime hours to three, it's ad revenue, a prime source of income, particularly with a huge decline in pay-per-view buy rates and lesser decline in house show revenue, would at first take an additional 40% hit. With the company already in good maths, Dave. Yeah, with the company already in financial disarray, it will be a short-term disaster and would require a huge increase in ratings over the long haul to make up for the cut back in time. It feels needed watching these nitros. Boy, does it ever! As, as, it, as it does now, watching Raw, three hours is, is everyone is, is all everyone has always known. It's too long. It's too much. But the money's there. But that's the thing. I, I, I've always subscribe to this the notion of your TV show shouldn't be longer than your pay-per-views yeah. now WWE have found a way around that since the invention of the network which makes their pay-per-views even more difficult to really watch yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah it's just that notion of your TV show is supposed to build to the pay-per-view the pay-per-view is what's three hours not not Nitro Yeah, especially not these Nitros not again so I wonder if this is a Russo. Obviously, if Russo didn't like the whole idea of uh, the, the Raw and SmackDown, the amount of content there, do you reckon this is one of his initiatives, trying to pull back the TV time? He he has claimed it is in the past. But Bischoff's always said he knew as well, so I'm sure there's plenty of people who are pushing for that in that company. Yeah. Maybe, because I suppose if you come in as the golden boy, then you're going to try and push your agenda so that's the time to do it so he probably did makes sense makes sense Russo in interviews this past week indicated that he'd worked to elevate Chris Benoit Buff Bagwell Ernest Miller Billy Kidman and Eddie Guerrero among others his first TV is going to be on October 18th although we'll see his fingerprints on the product from this point forward management before Russo was even in the picture had already decided to face Hulk Hogan out as the focal point of the company and replace him with Bill Goldberg a change that Russo also agreed with stating that he thinks Goldberg could be the biggest thing in wrestling but has never been pushed correctly a lot of uh, has been made. Really fucking was for yeah. about a year. <laughs> yeah, he's pushed fucking great for a while. For, for, for the first eighteen months, mate. No, no. By that point, he's already lost. Uh, yeah, twelve months. Yeah, make it at twelve. Yeah. A lot has been made of where Hogan will stand in all of this, and even friends of Hogan's indicate they don't think he'll be long for the company if he's phased to a mid-card level. <laughs> I, I, I can't even melt a team right that. I know. Long. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, we're moving now actually there's another episode of Raw and Nitro it's October 11th some, some funny stuff here we'll get to Raw first this time we're in the George Dome WCW territory 33,375 well that's why I asked about the timing of the Russo deal because I'm just, I am just imagine in my head I thought I bet they got all those execs they were there or they heard rumblings it was all over the local press ah, and stuff I see you get that. The, 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 the good vibes of this sold out energetic show and then a couple of weeks ago, they or was it maybe a month a month or two previously? It wasn't that long ago. Was it the month previously when WCW ran the Georgia Dome and the whole the top section was, that was empty? That was and July. Yeah, was it July. July? Was last time they, ran, they, yeah. they, well, I watched it last month. So the, the thing is, um, it, it's it, 
this is me being nitpicky. I, I appreciate, but it, it, of course, it's noteworthy that it being sort of WCW's home, and they only draw twenty-one thousand there, and Raw gets twelve twelve thousand more. But I still sit there and think they're only just over half full there. Why the fuck are you running that building? It's, it's, stick it to them. it's the show that's a proven point. Yeah, look what we can do. We can draw better than you in your own backyard. And boy, did Vince look happy when he came out to start the show. Oh, but yeah, this, by oh the way. yes, yes, he did. Oh, he was, he was, yeah. he was happy. It's funny though; they jumped about five thousand in the first five minutes of the show. Because <laughs> JR announces is forty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least they've got the rules right in terms of exaggerate your audience. Don't undersell it like Nitro did. No. Um, I think WCW thinking you know what if we tell them there's loads of free space loads of empty seats more people will try and get tickets <laughs> no they won't and at least at least the WF had the sort of forethought to think okay we're not going to sell out the building we're going to have a big crowd there, so what we'll do is you know, we'll play with the house lights a bit so that we don't show all those fucking empty seats yeah. on like, Nitro yeah, Nitro who shows the upper deck when it is light outside so you got the light coming in from the, from the upstairs from the upstairs from the sky as well yeah that was good work yeah good stuff um, Vince introduces Steve Austin best birds now these two yeah doesn't sit well watching it does it Steve Austin saying asshole left and right and it's not being bleeped um, Austin told Triple H to come out and challenged him to a fight uh, Trips comes to the ring and shoves down Jim Ross which leads to Austin and Triple H brawling uh, with actually pretty good heat until uh, Austin tells Ross to get in the ring and he held Triple H for Ross to slug him so uh, that happens China then runs down and spears Jim Ross um not sure about JR being involved in the angles here. Yeah. JR or China. Anything mm. to get a pop for Triple H. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Uh, of course, this sets up Steve Austin and Jim Ross versus China and Triple H later in the show. So that's your setup. Uh, Stephanie and Shane did an, uh, an update where Stephanie still can't remember a thing. She says that she knows that Test is wonderful, but she can't remember why. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, she can't marry him tonight as originally planned. Um, see in this day and age <laughs> she'd have a cockpit on the phone off old Andrew and she'd recognise it straight away yes. ah that's why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rock does a promo back then it was just Polaroid pictures on nothing it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, in, the, in the social media age it's everywhere yeah, yeah. everywhere <laughs> Mankind oh sorry the Rock does a promo basically blowing off Foley and bags on Flair Savage and Hogan doing the whole uh, the best catchphrase in the business type deal and again I thought that's a bit of a dicey one to do that. If anyone else, especially Flair, anyone else yeah. did it. If anyone, oh, if anybody else did it, apart from maybe Austin. But like, if anybody, if anybody else had the balls, like, no, no, Austin couldn't do it. Austin, if Austin did it, it would be, uh, it'd be murking himself off as how everyone comes across when you do imitations, like mm. the movie doing it on Rock. Yeah. It's, it's Bush League, but Rock doing it because it's he's the coolest man on the planet with the fucking greatest delivery in the world and the crowd in the palm of his hand. Everyone's just clapping like seals when anything he does. Um, so it, rock, rock can get away with anything. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I thought a very interesting I will, choice. I will, to have him do that. I will, say, I will note it's not the first time he's done it though. Either. Oh no, it's not. Mm. But this is again. It's in their taste. Yeah. Ju- just on the off chance that there were some WCW people from the up from the from Turner at the show just to see what's going on, and he's burying their guys and they're cheering it. Like ah, that's pretty interesting. Um. Mankind confronts him and they're about to go at it when Vince comes out and orders a tag match with him as partners against Venus and the Bulldog in the main event. So there's your two. <laughs> your dream team of I've, Venus I've, and Bulldog. I've watched this show. I know what happens. I know what the announcement was going to be. 
and yet when Liam reads it out I still wince you're still disappointed it's, it's still painful <laughs> X-Pac pins Farouk uh, X-Pac tells Kane that under no circumstances should he come to ringside to help of course Bradshaw then begins destroying X-Pac after the match Kane who was watching had enough saved X-Pac and X-Pac was pissed for save her that he saved him just far removed from August, just you just saying well you ungrateful little shit yeah yeah Jericho and Curtis Hughes lose to the headbangers yeah if if there was ever any doubt fuck's sake or dare I say if there was any hope from people watching they thought oh well now he's yes he's lost to the rock but he's interacting with the rock again it's it's the right direction any hope you had is quickly extinguished when we get to the look at him look at him with these guys in one week he's working with fucking huge and the headbangers uh, not, and Chaz not, uh, not, not to forget the running at the end from the stuttering Bubba Ray Dudley oh, yeah. and sorry if that slipped my mind yeah at least Jericho fucking decks Hughes and walks out on him here yeah. by the way it's like <clears throat> thank god get the fuck out of this mess what's he doing I there? know but we are re- we really are talking crumbs of comfort at that point well you're not going to get any more from this next piece <laughs> nope <laughs> the big show is, oh God. is moping around because he found out that his father is going to die because he has inoperable cancer. The heartless big boss man ripped on the big show about his father when the big show came out hot. Uh, this lasted 37 seconds, like 37 second match, until the boss man laid him out with nightstick shots. Al Snow comes in for the save, but the boss man lays him out as well. And I just wrote down the same thing I did last time. Big show, 950 grand a year. <laughs> being made like a tip by the boss man here this is getting his money let's not forget this was the big show who was one of the he was Undertaker's protege in evil mm-hmm. not so long ago before Taker just disappeared well he's done, Taker decided fuck it he's done nothing to turn no he hasn't in theory no, unless I've missed something no, no, no. no well his dad's a bit ill his dad's ill so we like him and he's not long, no longer with the Undertaker so well his dad's a bit ill but no one likes him clearly listen to that crowd <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no one cares <laughs> no one cares um, so yeah that, that's that's a story that's going to become a recurring theme sadly for the rest of this podcast um, Triple H in China versus Ross and Austin gets a non-finish uh, mainly this is just uh, Austin and Triple H brawling all over the building um, Austin's a little bit slower here I don't know if it was the, the knee or coming back early or what it was but I just thought he looked a little you know, he, he brawled with Triple H at the end of September and looked pretty smooth not so good here um, China's beating on Jim Ross in the ring while that's going on that looked pretty fucking mm-hmm. hideous Austin um, made a remark that he had a friend that he wants Triple H to meet uh, while he was kicking his ass anyway Jeff Jarrett showed up and put China in a laundry crate, uh, laundry crate and wheeled her off the ramp and when they came back from commercial she looked like she'd been fucking run over the truck. I was going to say this, this looked bloody awful <laughs> Like uh, fake blood, it's fake Hollywood blood all over the place. But it just looked like she's just been smashing the face. Yeah, with yeah it's it's one of those things that's a bit uncomfortable. But yeah. notice that there was a bit of a baby face pop when Jarrett hits her. You know what? We're not going to be talking well, this about this getting... Yeah, we're not going to be talking about SmackDown much this month. But Jarrett is the king of SmackDown with his, his anti-woman stuff this month. He's hilarious. Like this is this is the best Jarrett ever was in the WWF. This angle. And we'll see how it goes as well. And then finally, in your main event, um, we get another non-finish. It's Rock and Mankind versus Bulldog and Venus, of course. And this match ends when The Rock throws Davey Boy in the dog poo. 
dog. Dog poo. This man guy picking up all show. He's got this fucking giant plate of dog shit. It looks like horse poo. It should have been squidgier. Yeah, showing smaller, more solid bits. You know, it's the fact uh, it does the rock bottom into the into the dog poo, into the poo, <laughs> and then he goes His to the other. Fish is awful. <laughs> he goes, to the, uh, but, but at the same token, it's a, it's an appropriate treatment for the bulldog. He's rock bottomed <laughs> in the dog poo. Rock goes for the elbow. Davy um, rolls. Davy rolls onto his stomach. Meaning, so he's got poo on his back, <laughs> and there's poo where in you know in the lang- in, in the drop zone for the elbow. So Rock says, fuck it, I think. He, he, just, yeah, yeah. he says, fuck it, and he's going to the second one and poses, and that's the end of the match. The match, that's it, that's the end of the match. Once you've rock-bottomed a guy in dog poo, it's the moral victory anyway. Yeah. There's no coming back from that. By the way, I thought, as soon as I saw this, the first thing I thought, I, at the time I just thought, well, that's just fucking stupid, you know, it's been dog poo. With a timeline, I wrote down, I'll bet you a pound to a pinch of shit that Bret Hart's laughing his ass off from Calgary. Because remember the comment in the Calgary Sun when Bret said, I saw a funny sight the other day, dogs rolling around in shit and loving every second of it, and it reminded me of how the bulldog will do anything to work for the WWE. Oh, wow. I immediately thought of that as soon as this Oh, that's, that's not that. coincidence. No, no chance. Amazing. That's if, if you need an insight to the mind of these people. Yeah, but that's just, yeah. that's extra surreal because that's like a joke alongside Brett. That's yeah. Like, hey, Brett, check this guy out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look what your fucking family will do yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah. And by the way, tell Martha to show us some cash. That's it. Vince is like, yeah. you're goddamn right. Now yeah. dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the show ends. Where's with- Nightheart? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> sh- Thankfully, they didn't find him. <laughs> The show ends with Austin and Triple H still brawling, and Austin throws Triple H into a bathroom where a snake with a rattler sound effects piped in is stalking Triple H as the show goes off the air. I don't think this was on the network. Uh, it was. Luckily, it's. The, I admit, for some reason, luckily, the show cut off. Luckily, the snake is clearly behind Perspex Glass. Yes. Um, so there was no concern here whatsoever. I thought this was shit at the time when it I watched shit. it. it was. I, was, I, was, I thought, this is fucking guy. What is the yo? This this is funny because I always associate this with like that fucking oh one of Russo's last shows when he had he, there was fucking dog poo and a rattlesnake. He's like nope, this was them without Russo. Yeah, well, I hate it. Oh, you can see <laughs> that you can see the glass. It's like, there's no threat here. Why is that bullshit? They're, they're just they're shit shows at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is not good stuff. I mean, the, the, the as as is always the case with this timeline. The crowd are absolutely alive for everything Austin does, for everything Rock does, and they they are into Triple H and there uh, and uh, and Steve fighting. Mostly it's Austin. Well, they're, they're 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 into Austin kicking the shit out of Triple I, H. I, see, Trips I, takes good bumps for him and so stuff. I though. think yeah. I thought when when it's the clear focus on the the faces chasing Triple H. Mm. Triple H starts to get a little bit of traction. Yeah, because he, when <laughs> when they actually book him, not like necessarily like an equal, but like some kind of threat to, to beat. Yeah, it's like just, just don't divvy up the focus so much. It, it was, I think, the September problem for me. He's just, just stank a WCW. Speaking of dog shit, let's get to Nitro. Um, we got uh, actually, you know what? We start off with a very very sad moment with uh, with Heena. Oh, that you mentioned this is the saddest thing oh, in the I world of all so time. Sad. Gorilla, he, he, gorilla died. Oh, um, Mon- Monsoon died earlier in the month. Basically, he was given a, a, a pretty sour outlook on like how things were going to be, and he yeah, just and checked himself out of the hospital. And he, I mean, he could have lived as like a house vegetable for a couple more years, but he just checked himself out of the hospital, went home, and just and told friends he wanted to die like a man. And, and if you remember, ten days later he was gone. 
if you remember from the from Mania 15, he he didn't look well then. No, because it had uh, been a long time since he'd been seen on on WWF TV, and you looked and obviously I didn't put two and two together at the back in at the time, but you said, "God, Monsoon, just, where's where's all?" Well, the sort of the first one was, "Where's all the weight gone?" In a sense, you you don't mean to say it sort of in a nasty way. It's just it's just a, a striking difference. Uh, but yeah, you get to to this point, and even that is just so sad watching Heenan trying to just it's, try it's... trying to keep it together, yeah. and then the fact they just then I'm, I'm not necessarily blaming Shivani for this because obviously he's been instructed, but it's just you've got Heenan sort of tearing up, saying goodbye, and on to the great action again. <laughs> In that moment, no one cares well, what you've got on the fucking Bobby's. show, and yeah, and, so, and Heenan just looks sort of, he just looks furious. And I, just, don't, I don't think he's furious. Honestly, I, I, yeah, this is the thing. To me, it's like Shivani's doing the thing, and he, he, he throws the yeah, you know, something you know, Gorilla Monsoon passed away, very sad. Throws it to Heenan. Heenan gets to say his piece, and you can tell. I think that from the way this was put together, they said. We'll do a nice little nod to him. Heenan can say something. We'll acknowledge it. We'll give it some some time. We'll give it some kudos, and then we'll move on with the show because it's not supposed to be anything big. It's just let's do it though. Let's acknowledge it. And Heenan does his little acknowledgement, and it's perfectly fine, and he delivers it well. And then it's as soon as he stops and thinks, well, it's it's um, Shivani's talking. It's before he starts talking. First of all, Shivani's doing the thing, and you can see Bobby's so emotional. It's like, okay, now it's time we're going to talk about this. And he, he starts his body language. He's like, first of all, the, the, the fiddle with the pen. Um, and then it's like just little adjustments of little things on the desk, and he's, you can see in his eyes are glassy, and he just he starts talking. He, he's it's taking every f- fiber of will in his body not to just break and burst into tears. And I said to you, it's like it's not any his friend. It's like at this point, it's like I'm doing this shit on this show. I don't even enjoy doing this anymore. And he's thinking about the friend he used to work with in better times. It's just all these things. Yeah. You can see these things going through the guy's head in the space of 15 seconds. And it's just the most heartbreaking thing I've seen. There's probably the same thing I've seen. Uh, include, and that's a big statement of the shit yeah. we've seen so far. But the, um, and then, yeah, so then they, they, all they have to do is go to an advert break or something, just cut away and come back. But they go into the next angle and Shivani's hyping it. And they, he throws it to Bobby for his comments. And Bobby, in He's in total autopilot, and he's he does his thing. He puts over the feud, the match, and it's like you can't. I bet you can't even remember the names of the guys you just said. You totally did that on autopilot, yeah. And it's just the greatness of Bobby, but it's it is so sad. And you, you sort of sit there and think it's 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 appropriate for them to acknowledge it. Of course it is, but you just sort of sit there and think, Christ, give give Heenan the, the night off. God knows you, you send people home with full pay for. Pulling all sorts of stunts and getting up to all sorts of shit. Just, just give him the night off. I'm sure he, there's a million places he'd rather have been than there doing that show. Yeah, I mean that goes for every week, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, they show Chris Benoit and Bret Hart arriving together to to, uh, to kind of kick us off here, being taunted by Liz and Luger. Um, actually, that was a good line here. It was, it was Liz, wasn't it? Liz, it was Liz. Liz, Liz with the line. We're like, talking about like a yeah, security commission. We don't need security, we need immigration. <laughs> Canadians are here. Who knew the first lady could be such a bitch? Yeah, that was great. Um, Perry Sam beats Rey Mysterio Jr. by DQ. Uh, Douglas comes out, but Malenko stopped him this time. Uh, Kidman then ran in, but the ref saw him, so he DQ'd Mysterio. Uh, Malenko ends up in the ring with Kidman and Rey challenging Saturn and Douglas. So again, the revolution looks like it's splitting up here. We get 
Meng, the returning Meng, beating Conan with a tongue and death grip. Meng even got a fucking video yeah. to build this return. I love Meng. <laughs> I like him during this period. His fucking hair, the gear, the fucking craziness of the death grips. This guy, he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I don't need creative I, control. Yeah. I'm gonna get a push anyway. Yeah. I'm fucking hard. I'm fucking hard. I'm all <laughs> scared of me. And no one's gonna say a fucking yeah. word to me. These pussies. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Nash? Yeah. Where's Nash? Uh, speaking of Paul and Nash, show up uh, again. Get a very, uh, very baby face reaction. He didn't see him for a second time. Um, Meltzer notes they'll be over greatest faces as long as we don't see him wrestle. Notice how much more charismatic Nash is when he's with Scott Hall. Correct. He's, he's not more charismatic. He's just that he, he Paul... looks like he's part of a, he's part of an act that like hey look at the look at these two guys. It's really Hall doing all the work. Yeah, if you can call it that. <laughs> Acting like he's drunk. <laughs> Goldberg jackhammered Horace Hogan in three minutes. There's three minutes he didn't deserve to get. Well, at least yeah. two, fucking two minutes and fifty seven seconds. Hulk Hogan. There's an interesting promo I've written down here. This is a uh, so the talk about Sting at Halloween Havoc, which is the match that's coming up. But they start at an angle to work the boys in the internet on Nitro here, the, the, the brainchild of Vinnie Roo, where Hogan looked pissed off. Gene Oakland fed into the rumours without saying what they were. Um, of course, Hogan doesn't answer the question that wasn't even asked. Of course, there's being about Russo saying that Hogan's time has passed, it's time to push Goldberg. Because everyone knows this. After the interview aired, Hulk Hogan stormed out of the building in front of everyone, and as luck would have it, came upon Bob Ryder just before leaving and told him, the internet guy, uh, that he'd given notice, was fed up, and this might be his last TV taping. Working the boys! It's been a real treat so far. To the other 95% of the audience that had no idea about the stories of Hogan leaving, they must have had no clue as to what was going on with this interview. Hogan finished the interview saying that for all the boys in the back laughing... Uh, okay. But come Halloween Havoc, he'd have the last laugh on all of them. Uh, Vince Russo on the WCW internet talk show afterwards played into the angle hinting that Hogan was uncooperative. Fuck this guy. Well, they did say his fingerprints would be shown on it. Yeah, well, there you go. But uh, making this even better, I believe Bill Bush played into this and was like running around like, has anybody seen Hogan? Has anybody seen Hogan? That was probably a shoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, one tells, no one tells Bill Bush yeah. anything. Yeah, this I'm a fucking. You I'm know, the only person it worked on. It's it's this is the start of what we're gonna see. So we'll we'll, we'll hit this as it comes. Because, Strap yourselves in, boys. Yeah, we're in for a long one here. Shane Douglas did an interview and called out the rest of the guys in his group. Benoit got mad, ripped off his Revolution shirt, and walked off. So it looks like Benoit's not down on what's going on here. In fairness, they've been together for what about eight weeks? So yeah. You know. In, in the speed at which things move and in this they, didn't, era. They, they didn't do too great at Fall Brawl so I think it was, t- it was time to call it a yeah, day. Uh, sweep it, w- it was a sweep yeah no, sure nice. was um, Kurt Hennig is hitting on Tory Wilson when David Flair comes out and Hennig and Curly Bill kick his ass I thought this was hilarious <laughs> yeah, it was great yeah. <laughs> followed by fucking Flair coming out to the interview and challenging Mr. Perfect to a match that was also excellent <laughs> But yeah, beating up David Flair was great. It's like, I'm going to hit on your woman, I'm going to kick your ass. He's like, he's like, woman. <laughs> oh yeah, he's lost. He's such a fucking little bitch at this point. That's he what is. Funny. He's such a piss ant. He is. I'm sure Jeremy McDivitt was on speed dial that stage. <laughs> he said perfect. He said perfect. Add that line to the lawsuit. We got him. <laughs> Put out that template we used for Martha. <laughs> Uh, Milenko and Saturn beat Mysterio and Kim when Douglas threw the chain to Saturn and he knocked out Kibben for the win. When Milenko saw the finish on the video screen, he got mad, took off his Revolution shirt, and walked off as well. So we're split in half. 
Revolution torn. Yeah, it's like the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. It is. Well, we're going through a period where no one's going to get half the references, so I just thought I'd join uh, in with Russo. <laughs> to be quite honest, I thought you were talking about Nikolai and Boris. Ah. <laughs> I thought we were going to keep this relatively wrestling thing. I know you like, like your, your geopolitical war analogies, Carl, but, uh, you know, please. If you're going to drop the word Bolsheviks. Everyone knows what happened between the Bolsheviks and the Evo sticks, Liam. Come on now. <laughs> Everybody knows what happened in Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> we all know what happened in Moscow. So anyway, in the main event, Bret Hart and Chris Benoit beat fucking Rick Steiner and Lex Luger by DQ, of course. Well, when Steiner can't do a job. When Sid interferes, what a shit finish this was. Another fucking gutless, stinko bullshit finish. After the match, they did a double team power on Benoit and Luger racked Bret. Goldberg showed up and speared Steiner. He wasn't allowed to touch Sid. That's been kind of an ongoing theme here in this feud that he can't actually lay his hands on Sid, which is why he's been fucking with his cars. It's fucking cheap ass rental cars that he gets every week. I guess so. They're not exactly the creme de la creme. Every week on Raw, this limo's pulling up with his fucking stars rocking out, and you got fucking softball sitting in his little Volvo, <laughs> looking like a loser. It's <laughs> like it's like it's, like, it's, it's like the tall guy. From, you know the, that, that episode of The Simpsons, the short stories, yeah. right? <laughs> Is. I saw a close thing. How the fuck is he going to get in that car? Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, great. Hey, but what, what a way to you know? I know you don't want to really make you don't want to make a storyline out of what happened with with Owen, but you've sort of at least got something positive that that's come out of the the Brett and Benoit match. You know, both of them benefited. It was a good match. You know, got the crowd into it. it, it admittedly, the rate, the rating is starting incredibly low, but it built an audience, which is something that. Some long match, which for, probably for, expected usually. The things that you wouldn't something you wouldn't normally say on Nitro about building an audience. So you'd think, okay, well, yes, we did that as an aside last week. But there were some positive indicators there. Let's see if we can build on that at least for a few weeks. It no? seemed like people wanted to see what we served up that time. Because although they started low in the ratings, those people stayed and, and it grew. So it's it's like it's almost like some section of the audience wants to see that. Yeah, something's working. What do you think, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> DQ. <laughs> so yeah, by the end of this, of course, Goldberg's not after Sid, but he turns. He walks away from Sid, turns and spears him to end the show. So, who knows what's going to happen with Halloween Havoc at this point? Who knows? Who knows? We'll only find out when we tune in next week if we do. The ratings for these two shows are in. Raw with a six point one to Nitro's two point six. Oh, it's going down. It was the lowest rated Nitro in years and set the record for the widest ratings gap between the two shows. Raw with Mankind and Rock vs. Bulldog and Venus did a 6.2 final quarter, while Nitro with Hart and Benoit vs. Luger and Rip fucking Steiner did a 2.3. Oof. I'll, Oof. I'll, I'll bet they credited Val Venus with that as well, just to piss me off. Raw peaked at a 6.4 for the opening segment with, uh, with Vince, Austin, Trips, and. Ross, so uh, in China, I suppose. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's that. Two point six. Fucking so sad. In it's totally in deserved. In in incredibly sad. In completely deserved, as you say, and regrettably, something that Russo would use as a crutch for years for to come. years going forward. I took the rating from a two point six to a three point. <laughs> Every fucking you hear that all the time. So like, you didn't take from a two six. They're two six for one week, one week. It's been doing like th like three threes forever. It's in the last three weeks. It's dipped two nine, two nine, two six. 
So clearly something's not working here of late. May I suggest Rick Steiner, by the way? Yeah. Next time we hear from the Observer, this might surprise you if you've watched the television. Sting wants to be turned back babyface already. Mm. What do you what do you know? Well, well, we'll see a clear indication of that in his upcoming promo on the next Nitro. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Actually, let's move along now because there's a very big story that develops this week after the October 11th uh, Raw and Nitro surrounding the expiring contract of WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett. Uh, the Torch writes that it's known that his contract was set to expire on October 16th, the day before the No Mercy pay-per-view. The WWF offered Jeff Jarrett basically the same deal that he signed two years ago to renew. No raise was offered despite business being much stronger now than it was two years ago. That alone could have been a sign that the WWF didn't believe in his worth to the company. Jim Ross, who is Steve Austin's close ally, didn't work especially hard to retain Jarrett. Vince McMahon, distracted by front office departures and his tour of the West Coast to pitch the WWF IPO, left the contract negotiations in Ross's hands. Ross's negotiations came down to chasing Jeff Jarrett out the door of the October 12th Smackdown tapings, yelling to him on the way out, So are you staying or going? As you left. <laughs> Jarrett. <laughs> Jarrett let Ross know he wasn't impressed with his negotiating style. Ross said that he was distracted by other things and had forgotten to talk to Jeff earlier in the week. Mm. Within 48 hours, Jarrett had come to a verbal agreement with WCW. When word began to spread from WCW that Jarrett was a signature away from jumping, Vince McMahon made a strong effort to change Jarrett's mind. McMahon let Ross know that he wasn't happy that the situation had gotten nearly to the point of no return without consulting him first. Ross apparently never went to McMahon to say that Jarrett wasn't happy with the first contract offer. McMahon, extremely upset with Ross, told JR to fix it. Ross tried to reach Jarrett on Thursday, but Jarrett didn't return his calls. Jarrett told the front office he would only talk to Vince. Jarrett McMahon finally talked on Thursday, at which point McMahon told Jeff that Ross dropped the ball on negotiations and he really wanted him to stay in the WWF. The offer was upped. Stock options were thrown in. <laughs> the stock scam. Yeah. In what? In yeah. XFL? <laughs> but Jarrett told McMahon he had a verbal agreement with WCW that he felt comfortable with. The conversation was very cordial, as evidenced by a post on the WF.com website on Friday, which said, Due to a contract dispute between Jim Ross and Jeff Jarrett, Jeff will be leaving the WWF for WCW. Although his contract to the WWF expires this Saturday, he will be at no mercy on Sunday, which is a testament to the kind of human being Jeff Jarrett is. The WWF hopes to do business again with Jeff in the future. Right, I'm calling complete I'm bullshit on that too, yeah. On on the notion that Vince was really Vince. upset. Yeah. Never in a million years. Jim Ross is the pit bull, that's his job. So he Oh was... no, they're saying Vince isn't upset. Well Vince was upset with Jim. No, I think I think <laughs> no, it's bullshit. Oh, okay. Jim Ross is, Jim it's, Ross it's, is it's, the it's good cop. It's good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah. Jim Ross does everything, Vince. You can, I don't buy that for a second. Vince sees MO, that's what a boss does is to, to remain above it all. And it's nah, that's Jim Ross's job is to take the shit off people when it's getting thrown around. So, same thing that JJ done that to do with that Randy Savage payoff back yep, in the day. And as yep. we said before with Russo, if Vince has learned, should have learned from experience now, if he really valued someone, there'd be something more concrete in place. I mean, you've mentioned there the contract offer is basically sign the same deal you had two years ago. I don't believe for a second that JR didn't tell Vince what he was going to offer what the offer was going to be to Jarrett and yeah, that opening salvo if Vince was really upset he would have said no don't be, don't be stupid 
change that. Yeah. Jack was asking for four hundred thousand uh, dollars and four hundred fifty thousand dollars downside guarantee over the two years to stay, which is what he got from WCW. And Titan did actually match that offer, uh, but not until uh, the last minute. Jeff had already pretty much agreed at that point to go to WCW. There is some thought that Ross intentionally did as little as possible to re-sign Jarrett. The perception of Ross in the WWF is that he will do anything to please Steve Austin, knowing that as long as he has Austin support, he's on solid ground in the WWF. Ross may have wanted to do a favour for Steve, with or without his knowledge, by intentionally dropping the ball on the Jarrett negotiations and low-balling the offer while ignoring the pending expiration date on his contract. Jarrett told McMahon that he would not return to the WWF as long as Ross worked for the company. And I'll call bullshit on that as well. Let's hear it. Because Jim Ross well knows he's been fired before by Vince. I don't think he'd be willing to risk job security. Well, this is the thing. If he's appeasing Austin, and the whole, if if this was true, if this but, was, but, if, if this was actually accurate, but it's one his it's, theory it's, is that Austin would save his ass. It's one hell of a gamble to take, and I don't I don't see JR yeah. taking such a gamble. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I simply think Austin's the the power player. He's told Vince that man, I ain't fucking jumping to this guy. I'm, I'm not working with this guy. guy. Yeah, and at that point, what's the point in paying yeah. this guy? The, the, there is absolutely zero point in paying this guy four hundred and fifty whatever he wants. No chance because he, he's going to be. You know, he's Casa Mikada for life under with no pretension because yeah. the top guy said he's not going to work with him. So. But this is this is the political way to get around it. Is yeah, you, you point the finger at someone else. It's not the company then. It's it's one individual guy with an agenda. It's it's mm-hmm. yeah. And at, and at this point, we've already talked about how you know, that mid card is is fairly interchangeable. Really, it's it's not built around any strength in the mid card. It's just built on Austin and Rock. Yeah, yeah. And everything else <laughs> is just there. Um, and I would imagine if, even if he was offered the four hundred and fifty k towards the end, it's probably only because he's got the IC belt. Oh yeah, <clears throat> there's no other basis for it. Yeah. So this raises on the day after the, the very positive message on Twitter.com about thanking Jeff Jarrett and hoping they can do business with him in the future. Jeff Jarrett, before agreeing to wrestle the pay-per-view match the day after his contract with the WF uh, expired, insisted he get paid for the match ahead of time. He also insisted he get paid all the money he was owed for other matches in recent months that he had not yet been paid for. How show and pay-per-view payoffs normally run several months behind. Jarrett, because of the circumstances of his departure, didn't have faith that these somewhat arbitrary payoffs would necessarily equal what they would have had he renewed with the WWF. Um, he at one point gave a figure that they agreed to pay, and then he called back with a higher figure that he then forced, pretty much told them, you got better pay me this. I want a bigger than usual payoff for China, yeah, for, for the, the, the job to China. So uh, they had to do that too. Several tense conversations with WF management occurred over the next 24 hours and in the end was given a check approaching $200,000 for money he believed he had coming. Get what your you money, saying? get your money, Jeff. <laughs> check them bounced. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? Good on you. Hey, take, yeah. Don't hate for that, but I don't. I don't. It does back up your point, though, Carl. But that last dash, last gasp figure is incorporated, incorporating the fact you're the IC champ. So yeah, we actually need the belt. Yeah, that's probably where, if anything, was the problem with with Vincent and Jim would be that. Like, how the fuck did this? 
yeah. come up with, 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 a, with a date discrepancy. So anyway, October 17th, it is No Mercy, but before No Mercy happens, just hours before dropping the IC title to China at the pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett confronts Jim Ross and cuts a promo on him in front of a number of other people, letting everyone know what he thought uh, about Ross and claimed he's sabotaging the company by letting him go just to kiss up to Steve Austin. Did he then hit him with a guitar? <laughs> That's not confirmed. Aww. The tongue lashing was intense, uh, says the torch, uh, probably a sign that Jarrett felt very frustrated in recent months when his scheduled program with Austin was vetoed by Austin, but only after he sold the stunner three times on TV to set it up. The Road Dog, a good friend of Jeff Jarrett's, then cut a promo on Bruce, uh, Bruce Pritchard shortly afterwards. He said that Pritchard and Ross were, in essence, a cancer on the WWF. He accused them of basically working towards monopolizing power and becoming Vincent Mann's only confidants at the expense of the company. He was very, very upset with the treatment of Jarrett uh, and threatened to make life miserable for the WWF as long as Ross and Pritchard were in power so they'd have no choice but to release him. Uh, other wrestlers at the pay-per-view and TV events this week expressed to McMahon their disappointments in how the WWF handled the negotiations with Jarrett. Oh no, what will the road dog do to upset the apple cart? <laughs> it's his brother Brad on my trip. Yeah. God, we gave, get to that little thing. Didn't yes. realise it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, road dog. Nobody. Yeah, the guy who says the rock's got a big head. <laughs> and Bret Hart was good, but not great. Mm. October 17th, of course, it is WF No Mercy. 18,752,000 sell out the Cleveland Gund Arena. A 0.88 buy rate for 330,000 buys. Not exactly blowing them away there at the box office. The big story to me on this show Edge Christian and the Hardy Boys in the ladder match. Uh, fucking fantastic stuff here. Took a big step towards being recognised as something more than just people in the pack, earning a standing ovation for their ladder match, which reached a series of creative and high-risk spots built around the ladder. Yeah, talk about getting over in one match. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. They start quiet, and then by oh, the yeah. end, it's like, oh my god, these guys, it's just one thing after another. This is so yeah. good. And and at the time, it's, it's, it's the first ladder match of its kind. Tag team ladder match. But by... Not not just in the sense that it's a tag team one, but in terms of the style of the match, it's the first one where it's about the creativity of the spots. Before then, it's it's more been about the the drama of the near grasping of the belt to then have it have yourself upended and, and that sort of thing. So it's a real it's a real sort of change of dynamic for the ladder match, which in later years I think would go on to be a little bit redundant and oh, yeah. the, the spots would lose their meaning, but for that time absolutely fantastic and in terms of you know getting a spotlight for yourself you know, more power to him well except for the fact well Jeff completely steals the show oh he's me. awesome and then fucking Ross fucks up his name at the end it's Matt Hardy yeah, oh, show god. me the money Matt Hardy oh god oh, um, yeah he was fantastic though everything watching this like oh I remember now I remember why this guy was the next Shawn Michaels yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh the leapfrog the, 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 the leapfrog the seesaw spot's great the seesaw is the seesaw's the one that like okay this is just fucking incredible like because then it's point, like oh we need to watch this because they're doing stuff I've never seen before yeah. yeah it's like whoa that is just ridiculously cool that spot yeah so that's uh, yeah for sure and uh, it yeah, helps get them away from the whole new brood shtick yeah. which is just death which is at this point and this is a really odd combination the Hardy Smarts are their music but with Gangrel's entrance it's like what the fuck's going on here get this fucking loose away from the Hardy Boys in the main event Triple H finally pins Steve Austin after the Rock's interference backfires uh, Rock tries to hit uh, Trips with a sledgehammer for Triple H to intro and uh, kind of laid him out with the sledgehammer earlier in the show what do you think of the match? I quite liked it I, I liked it I thought Austin was really good um, it's a, it, if he had a dip I thought his fire was back and he's just uh, it's, 
he's got his style down so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he works well with trips. Too, he does. He really does. Triple H selling for him as well. We, we say all the time. He's really fucking good. He's really good. <laughs> so, Whip that hair on those yes. those great punches. Really gets doesn't get the best blood here. He try he tries to do the blood that he would do later successfully, but yeah. he's a novice at the blading at this point. So mm. it's only a little uh, kind of fart trickle down the, the one side of the face. And as, as sort of critical as we've been of trips over the course of the timeline, you know, generally speaking, it's the right result because mm. it's t it's too soon to if you're going to go back to Austin at some stage, it's much too soon to do that. And yes, it's not a, it's not a clean win, but you know, it's a proper finish at least. Yeah. And Triple H needs pinfalls as as much as he can get them, really, yeah. considering what they've done to him in in the prior weeks. Yes, indeed. Um, China does in fact win the Intercontinental Title, beating Jeff Jarrett in the Good Housekeeping match, which was actually the crowd was excellent for this. They were, they were totally so polarised. Yeah. Um, Yes, I can't remember were. another match in the Attitude Era where you hear women at a wrestling show so much. Yeah. They are so loud. This they is so badly want China to yeah, win the IC title. Um, this, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting watch. It's, you know, most garbage of garbage match styles. It is. Just grab this, hit you with this, grab this, oh, hit yeah. you with and this. Yeah, it, it needs to be because China's the shits. She's terrible, too. She's fucking awful. Yeah. When, you, when it's actually her on offense doing other stuff other than just hitting them with stuff, this match sucks. Yeah. Those damn forearms. Oh. They're not even forms, they're wrists. They're <laughs> wrists to the ear. So, yeah, not a fan of that. But, yeah, first Women's Intercontinental Champion. Jarrett does a hell of a job on the way out. So, uh, kudos, Jeff. Anyway, cash also that, on the show. Cash, cash them checks. Cash that check. Do you want to give him like a bunch, like loads of little checks? <laughs> I like that, just to make it hard. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Lots of $1 checks. <laughs> Speaking of jobs, however, Mankind loses to Val Venus. I was hoping we weren't going to bring that up. Val Venus beat Mick Foley. How about the finish with, on with this? With a testicular claw. Oh, God, yeah. Foley's got the mandible claw. Val's got the balls. They both fall down together. And the ref just counts three. Terrible, terrible, terrible finish. Val goes I, over Mankind. I, I know that Mick's not in the best of shape and his best days are certainly behind him. I'd, I'd never deny that, but it's Val Venus. He's got nothing going for him. Nothing. He's a nobody. He's good. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just crap. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah, couldn't, and then I couldn't he, is, is he a heel or a face? Oh, who knows? Okay. Who knows? I thought he's a heel. He's, he's, he's attacked mankind and stuff. So uh, yeah, he is now, but I mean, I I, 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 like his shtick yeah. seems to be very facious. Face ish. Face ish. Yeah. There you go. Fascist. No. <laughs> However, thank God we should just be thankful that Bulldog did not beat The Rock because oh, God. Rock, Rock phoned this fucker in long distance. <laughs> Rock bottom people's out. Get the fuck home, Bulldog. Would, would you have put it past the company to have Bulldog win this one? You know what? If it was on TV, it probably would have happened, but on probably. pay per view. Yeah, well, when not. you consider there was one person who had to do the job in the six pack challenge and they picked The Rock. That's what I mean. The Rock has lost to Billy Gunn. In the build-up to SummerSlam, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, multiple times to Triple H, lost it. In, f in fact, this is the first time in any sort of feud I can remember him coming out with the upper hand. Be Billy Gunn and at SummerSlam. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss my ass, match doesn't count. After No Mercy, a funny little note here. In the wake of all the recent departures with Russo, Ferrara, and even all with Jeff Jarrett. Vince McMahon began ordering or offering all the employees, not just the talents, whether they're under contract or not, the 
opportunity to sign a loyalty pledge. A letter stating that upon leaving the company for any reason, including if they get fired, they can't work for WCW, or for that matter, any Time Warner company for the period of one year. Okay. <laughs> was, this, was this something stipulated by the Village Voice? <laughs> no, no, this is just him trying to make sure he doesn't get dicked again. Loyalty pledge. The loyalty pledge. Did you get paid for that year? Do you fuck? Some sort of sorority girl yeah, fucking d- or frat house all of a sudden. A special ring that you can yeah. blow and whistles and stuff <laughs> most but all the employees did in fact sign the loyalty pledge Terry Taylor who had headed the group in charge of writing the, uh, the TV show since Russo's left has as of the weekend refused to sign the loyalty pledge which has spread rumours that he might be WCW bound there's no way that could even be enforced in court no surely. of course not no what a load of bollocks this is like <laughs> it's just a Fuck them though, because then if it'll have to, it'll have to go to a lawsuit or yeah. discussions. It's just, a, just takes a, money. It's just yeah. time up in litigation. It's so they see it coming mm. rather than can't can't be sidetracked by it and yeah. out of nowhere. Can't be blindsided. Blindsided. There you go. We move to the next night. It is Nitro North. Let's get back to some of this sweet WCW because it is in fact time for the first Vince Russo produced written television masterpiece. What will Vinnie Roo do on this show? The new WCW. Well, the one thing I can say is that I think it's a prime candidate for a future review episode. I think I completely agree with that. We'll, uh, we'll talk broad strokes here before we get, you know, obviously one day we might hit the, the nuts and bolts, yeah. but we'll definitely hit some of this. It opened up with Sid coming out of a uh, big car in a suit and tie surrounded by lawyers. Uh, he, he, of course, uh, you know, this coming after Goldberg illegally speared him last week. Yes. Is yeah. their match going to go ahead still? I don't know, but can someone remind me why, the, how that whole thing came about in the first place? Because I don't remember it being sort of laid on very thick, and I almost got the impression it was just announced one week. I think Sid, I think I remember, doesn't Sid say I'll give him the match, but you can't touch him? I think he yeah, just yeah. said he it. He just says, if yeah, you want, if you want this match, yeah. you can't touch me till then. Yeah. So that's enough to tie him up in court. He then he shows this document. He's got this contract, this piece of paper, as if Goldberg is like sworn, like yes, like he's written it in blood, so therefore it can't be broken. Goldberg just asked himself, "Did I sign anything?" Might have done. Oh, actually, yeah. Might well, be on thunder. Who knows? Okay. Maybe I missed it. I forgot. That's point. Um, this is a great one. So we kick off the new Nitro with Juventud Guerrero versus Evan Courageous, and Bret Hart just walks in. <laughs> of course he does. He says he waited his whole career for a match with Hulk Hogan, and now it looks like he won't get it. Why? 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 No well, Hulk Hogan on the show. Again, yeah, but when Hoagie's not there, everyone talk about Hoagie. Of course. Yeah. Well, he kind of already walked back on his promise not to wrestle again before he got the match. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. What's to say he won't change his mind this that time? That was weeks ago, Carl. Weeks. <laughs> Living in the past. Mm. Sting came out and offered Brett a title match for later in the show. What a nice thing to do. What a, what a, what a, what a face promo this was, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Everything he says is factually correct. I love that. You know what I love about this promo? We talked about it before the show, Carl, about how he talks about how everyone gets screwed. Yeah. Almost as if it's like a lovely romantic part of the business. Yeah. <laughs> we all get fucked, Brett. That's what this is. <laughs> I love it. Um, Giovanni said that it was Russo and Ferrara's first show saying that they were the creative forces behind the WWF I, I don't know what that meant the writers are coming the writers are coming what does it mean what do you mean the magazine? writers magazine writers well, they were well, they were magazine. Vic Venom yeah wicked yeah. Oh. yeah Vic Venom for this show by the way <laughs> yeah I don't know um, Medusa 
claimed that she was going to quit WCW over them putting her in an evening gown match later in the show. Mm. Buff Bagwell did a heel promo talking about how he's in line for a big push. What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> Off the stage? <laughs> Off a cliff? What does the term push mean to 95% of the audience? Nothing. Inquiring minds want to know. Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. beat Harlem Heat for the tag team titles when Mysterio Jr. gave Stevie Ray a springboard des press and Conan held his legs down. Boy, did it look great when Stevie's in there with Ray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thankfully, this this is not the end of Harlem Heat, but... We're not far away. We're not far away, and the fact that they lose the belts here kind of gives me a little bit of a bit of faith of Booker who is fucking great Booker's awesome <laughs> you know, so there, there is a workhorse in that team and it is not Stevie Ray it's been like, so awesome for months actually yeah yeah. it's, it's, like, oh. it's so awesome for the better part of two years Kimberly tried to seduce David Flair what a rib because DDP was out of town we'll get back to this well no, let's be clear on it though he looks scared shitless he does where in the real world he has no idea why these beautiful women are talking yeah. to him <laughs> he has no idea of anything that's going on in his life in the past two years or whatever. Well, but he's getting these decent sized checks yeah keeps him paid but yeah. I don't know Look, that's, the fact is someone like Gimbley Page was up to you yeah okay I'll come to your hotel room there yeah, yeah. alright alright fine the rest of this is surreal enough why not Sid comes out and brings the attorneys and calls out Goldberg Goldberg comes out and speared the fucking frail ball attorney who gets up in like 10 <laughs> seconds he's just like walking around giving Sid the contract fucking hell Rose. yeah real fucking <laughs> and then they one of Russo's fucking wonderfully executing they were probably proper Time Warner lawyers yeah didn't know what to do we will pay you your, an, your hourly rate <laughs> yeah. twice it, over it was probably Bill Bush's brother yeah and then uh, yeah so of course the guy just gets up from the spear Sid kicks uh, Goldberg in the face and shoves the contract down his throat and then just says he'll fight him anyway yeah making the preceding weeks completely irrelevant mm. Hall and Nash were making fun of Goldberg from ringside probably for the spear um, and he shoved them and they had to pull apart Hall and Nash thrown out supposedly of the building you get the feeling if Goldberg had had the chance though he'd have thrown a few stiff ones in there Scott, Hall. yeah he's got, he's got no real regard for Scott Hall so uh of course, this leads to Hall and Nash sneaking back in the building, a show-long skit of them pissing around with Volano's masks on. Kevin Nash, super cool here, drinking cough medicine at one point to insinuate he's drunk. Fucking loser. Is that that was the point? That's why I assume it was. He's, he's saying it's medicine. You, you'd assume, judging from the size of the bottle, it's supposed to be some Cowpole. sort of cough medicine, yeah. <laughs> the insinuation that it's not really cough medicine. Right, okay. Whereas, bearing in mind... So it's GHB, basically, is what we're supposed to think. Right. Okay. He's feeling sexy tonight, so he slipped himself a roofie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Is that stuff he drinks in Magic Mike? <laughs> yeah. No, Something like that. meant to watching Magic Mike. Balls. <laughs> 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 Moving on. Anyway, so Goldberg knows that they're back in the building, and he's like trying to look for uh, for, for where they are, and he bumps into the ICP. Oh, this is great. And just fucking kicks the shit out of him. Rightly so. Shaggy 2 look, dies by boxes cardboard boxes kill Shaggy 2 don't when Bill throws him into him that's great yeah it's awesome I, I did love the typical Russo trope here though of Goldberg's got a programme with Sid let's just throw him in a programme with Nash and Hall as well and the one million of course five second clips that air throughout the show just random things oh. just to progress the story Kimberly Page just 
pouring wine in some in the walking walking to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Kimberly undressed, expecting David Flair to be at the hotel for some reason. Planned to spike his drink, which I didn't really understand why. But instead, Rick Flair comes out of the bathroom. That was quite hilarious. <laughs> so he jumps the boy on the, couldn't make it. He jumps, he jumps the on the bed and springs straight up. It's the funniest thing. It's like watching a cartoon. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Rick, Rick is tremendous. And, and, and throws but, a 14 times spanking. <laughs> but there's no explanation. Oh, no. As to why Kimberly Page wants to spike David Flair's drink. Why does she give two shits about David Flair? Why, having come on to David Flair, does David Flair, like the world's biggest square, give the hotel card key to his dad? Hey, Dad, I'm not mad enough for this. Uh, exactly, exactly. The way I see it went down was he was nervous and scared, and he went to ask Dad if he was allowed to stay out tonight. Rick said why David, <laughs> David showed him the, the key card and he just took it and said no <laughs> simple as that yeah. that would have been best we should have shown that on GTV yeah. we would have shown that yeah, yeah. so that was pretty great and then of course we never did find out what happened uh, well, the, the scene just cuts away I think yeah. don't they tell us the promo next week next, the next, next week, week we but it just cuts away here. yeah it just cuts away quick cuts quick yeah cuts. not enough time to digest um Sting beats Bret Hart in the WCW title match when Lex Luger interferes and hits Hart in the ankle with a baseball bat and Sting uses the Scorpion Deathlock for a tap out. So, uh... Bret's been on one hell of a roll lately. Um, La Parker beat Buff Bagwell who came out with the job face on uh, is th- and they're talking about it and like, you know, like, something's wrong with Buff. He hasn't got his top hat on. <laughs> And then, like the whole way through the match, like he's just kind of sometimes he's fighting back, and that the announcers, because this would happen if it were real, are being quiet for long stretches of time, not understanding what's going on. Eventually, much Buff, like the audience who don't care. Oh yeah, Buff does a half-assed version of the strut, waves La Parker to hit him. La Parker kicks him in the neck, pins him, and then we get to see a bunch of marks backstage all laughing, all, all the lower card but, guys. But, but, but ah, he had to lose but, to the foreign guy but, that never wins. But they're all cheering as if some of them are cheering as if it was real. And a, and, a, and a like a genuine victory like Brian Nobbs I'm looking in your direction and like was La Parker I don't understand did like are we supposed to believe then that Bagwell allowed La Parker to really kick him or was it fake I don't understand it's a, it's, it must be a fake because he immediately pops up and then goes and gets pop, the headset he? but then he does hold his neck he does sell it yeah I don't understand this uh, is he letting him hurt him or I don't mm. it's very because he sells bitch during the match like when he yeah. hits the turnbuckle and then yeah. mind point, you the point is pointing to his imaginary watch for some reason oh it's because yeah, got it, you know, time to go home now maybe yeah, yeah. It's, uh, time uh, yeah, very confusing and of course just to add to the confusion after the match as the park is doing his fantastic little strut and shaking his knees he gets on the headsets and uh, and says Russo, did I do a good job for you? Mm. Again, what does that mean? Do a good job. Maybe you fixed his toilet. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's where he lost the hat. <laughs> you painted his garage. Who knows? Maybe happened in New York. Open suggestions. Build that fence to keep DDP out. <laughs> and then and then, out wonders Jeff Jarrett. He clocks Buff Bagwell with a guitar, and says, "If you want to talk about stroke," and grabs his balls. I got your stroke right here, Buff. So now that bit's real. Yeah. Because he's hit Buff with the guitar, which, which Buff, and Buff sells that. He sells that, that so. so the guitar shot's real. So the guitar shot must be real. Which, that's why I question, is the pain real? He just allowed La Parker to kick him. Yeah. The important thing is, fear the guitar. Fear the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more on the guitar later. 
<laughs> I was going to say I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I was that works say, quite well. That's why. That's why. To be fair, that's why Bagwell sold the uh, the buckles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to this. <laughs> Rick Flair showed up after, of course, after being in the, the hotel room previously. And challenged all of the filthy animals, not happy at all with uh, Kidman taking Toy Wilson. David Flair's very upset again, he's playing down here. He's talking about, what are you, what are you talking about, Kidman? Kidman? You talking about Conan? And Rey Mysterio? And he's just going off, he's just out of control this month, Flair. Comes out and challenges all the filthy animals. They come out and just kick the fuck out of him. <laughs> they just beat the shit out of him. They steal his wallet, his watch, his rings, and make him like a complete tit. So they've turned heel now? Yeah. I, I guess so, because they mugged the old guy. So Because mm-hmm. they hadn't. Although, but the guy they beat up and mugged is apparently a sex offender rapist. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's where that leads us. And I'm a little confused because they were feuding with the heel, or partially heel revolution. Yeah. So is that half of them are heels, half of them are baby faces. The ultimate dynamic. Is that now an all bad guy program? No. Not all of them, because the baby face is Benoit. Well, he's gone. He quit. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. I'm very confused. Mm. And confusion the whole way through this as Conan's walking around in his chic silk shirt. I was really bothering like, who the fuck does this guy remind me of? And I figured it out. He's a white Lance Fishburne. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. White Matrix Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just the shape of the bald head. And yeah. the eyes. Do we go do we go white? Bit... Well, whiter Lawrence he's Fishburne. Bit, he's got a bit mm. of coffee in his milk. <laughs> can we can we just unplug him from the Matrix, frankly? Yeah, he's got to take the blue pills. I hate Conan. <laughs> just in case that wasn't evident already. Yeah. So they also backstage showed a broken guitar with Elizabeth Ooh. laid out next to it. Intrigue. Oh wow! Oh, this is great. And the commentary team are in no doubt. Bear in mind, last week when Rocky, when Rocky referenced Hooventude, no one had a fucking clue because no one watches WCW if yeah. you work for the WF. On WCW, when they see this broken guitar, Shivani is sh- shit certain it's Vince, it's Jeff Jarrett because, because we also what used to do in WWF because yeah. we all watch that fucking show because <laughs> much better than ours. Yeah, that brilliant. Was his, didn't they say that was his gimmick in the WWF yeah. or something like that, hitting win with a guitar? Yeah. Must be Jeff. Mm. And then in the main event, which actually has a promo we need to talk about, Goldberg and Lex Luger is the main event, and Lex is a fantastic Lex, the star of this I promotion. I have been, been quite nasty over the years. Over the years of this podcast, when regards to uh, Lex Luger, I think uh, throwing out the old laxative Luger or laxative Lex on a couple of occasions as well. But in the interest of fairness, I will just say that whilst it may not mean much for ratings or general business purposes I thought he was incredibly enjoyable in September the only true baby face in the whole dynamic <laughs> telling the truth about Hogan in October he's quite the little gem on this programme he's the star to me he's the star he's constant he doesn't he just shows his ass all the time yeah. it's really, here he's doing this speech about how I'm not afraid of Goldberg <laughs> yeah. well a, you know a, a, a lovely sort of chicken shit heel whilst trying to pretend he's not a chicken shit heel there. Yeah. yeah he's trying, he's trying to be a man but at the same time he's looking around nervous stuttering all over the place this time intentionally <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice change 
And in the main event, Goldberg does in fact beat Lex Luger with a spear and a jackhammer. Nash, Hall, Sting all out there as well for a barbecue. Bret Hart comes in, puts Sting in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Luger attacks him, goes to put him in the rack, which allows Goldberg to spear him and uh, pin him with a jackhammer. So there you go. Goldberg gets the Duke on the first episode. No Hogan. Mm. <clears throat> what hype for Halloween Havoc, by the way. Sting and Hogan. Can't fucking wait to see that now. Oh, Good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Over on the other channel at the time, on Raw, the show opens with The Rock doing a promo, talking about his title match at Survivor Series with Triple H that he had earned by beating the Bulldog at No Mercy. Uh, Steve Austin came out and said that The Rock had cost him the match at No Mercy and he deserved the shot. Uh, this was pretty interesting here. Rock and Austin, for the first time in quite some time, with a direct yeah, interaction. Since, since April, yeah. Since April, and uh, both as babyfaces this time, and. Austin being quite, you know, in his face, and Rock, just, and he says, "You can take off your little silk shirt. We can settle this." And the Rock calmly taking off the, the the cuffs of his shirt, and it felt to me because Rock came out first and did a fucking great promo, and there's the eating out of his fucking palm of his hand, as, as they always are. And when Austin comes out and does it, it feels to me like they're more with Rock than Austin because of the nature of the setup where they they got all the the great catchphrases with Rock first, talking about how he's going to turn the sledgehammer sideways and all that stuff. Austin comes out intense, saying. You know what happened? Happened. It's my match. And if you got a problem with it, we're going to fight right now. And Rock, it seems like they're with Rock when Rock's kind of taking his shot up here. It's quite an interesting dynamic this this next couple of months with the Rock and Austin interplay. So uh, eventually, Vince comes out, calls Triple H out to see what he thinks about all this. Very natural setter. And uh, when all is said and done, Vince just announced it's going to be a three-way at Survivor Series. There you go. Fine. Fine. But at the same time, Trips kind of reacts the way you'd expect. Simple setup. But uh, yeah. Hot, hot, hot crowd here for us. It was good. It was really nice. I really liked it because after all the convoluted bullshit that's gone through the Triple H reign yeah. reigns uh, so far, this was the two hot as hell baby faces gunning for the heel, and it was a really nice dynamic. It feels. It, feel, it certainly it feels. The point you made about No Mercy before, I think, rings true, which is like, if Triple H is going to be the top heel, he needs to be surrounded by the top baby faces. Otherwise, it's not. It's going to feel illegitimate. Like you know, rock fire around Billy Gunn and Bulldog, and it's like that's not doing anything. Yeah, for him. it's well, it's almost a bit of the sort of the Goldberg dynamic in '98. Now, don't get me wrong, Goldberg is still incredibly over, still the most popular person on the roster, but whilst he's champion, he's the penultimate match at Road Wild with the Giant, whilst Hogan's farting about with Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. You know, Goldberg wrestles DDP at Halloween Havoc, but let's not pretend that the main focus for the, for the month of October and the build to Halloween Havoc is all about Warrior Hogan. Yeah, don't we know it? You know, and and, and eventually it, it becomes a problem for Goldberg, and they create the narrative in their own minds that we've got to beat him. So, you know, by extension, if you look towards Triple H, if it, whenever you have a situation where your champion is playing second fiddle, it's you know. You can get away with it for one month for, for a particular program, perhaps, but at some point you have to make that the focal point, otherwise it creates problems. Yeah, big time. Mankind gives Rock a signed copy of his book, uh, and then gave him Rocco as a bookmark, and uh, Rock told Mankind he could keep Rocco, which Mankind thought was very generous. <laughs> I thought the interplay with these two was great. Actually, it gets fucking awesome later, but uh, really good to start with here. Again, it's the friendly, the friendly thing of like, Rock actually kind of appreciating the book, but you can take the sock. Whatever. Um, it's, it's those little bits every once in a while that Rock gives him so that he doesn't come across as just the complete and utter arsehole. 
Yeah. I thought the, the relationship with him and Foley was brilliant for padding out the rock character yeah, as like a real human being who's actually got this nice side. Um, and is, is it fair to say it's just it's a sort of interplay you need or, or a, a better use of devoting TV time to him than having him dick around with the billy guns of this world Absolutely. yeah that's buddy comedy yeah the buddy comedy stuff's getting over uh, China came out with Miss Kitty by her side dressed as a mini China what was this? I don't know she's kind of she's, she's kind of walked away for, uh, for, uh, for uh, a brief three second clip at the end of the China Jarrett match you can see her walking away and running off with China but that's it you, you no emphasis nothing you, you, you're always, if you blinked you'd have missed it honestly it was that brief she just bailed on Jarrett and joined China just like that um, and as they're in the ring talking about how China's the first female continental champion Chris Jericho comes out to save the fucking day and thank god because Jericho who hadn't been even on No Mercy by the way he's just fucking riding the bench comes out here and says how the WF has disgraced wrestling by making China the Intercontinental Champion and they disgraced the belt held by such greats as Ricky Steamboat, <laughs> Randy Savage, Rick Rude and the Mountie. <laughs> all, all, of, all of us to a babyface pop by the way. Oh yeah, again the dynamic is very interesting with China now that she's actually been treated like a serious wrestler. It starts with Jarrett at no mercy, like you said, the, the very partisan crowd. But I thought that this was the way it was. Anytime China was in a serious spot, the men choose the guy every time damn near every time so uh unless it's something that just sucks like that'll be <laughs> um but anyway China clocks him with the belt to end this segment he kind of took a bump off the apron that looked like he was supposed to go through a table but didn't get far enough and kind of just falls apart not, not, not too impressive but anyway um Al Snow backstage finds Mick Foley's book in the garbage can and then as he relays the news to Mick Mick looks very sad this is great from Foley he's pouting Foley yeah he's like nah he didn't throw it in the trash he's like no Mick I'm telling you I found it in the trash and just the look on Foley's face is so good because he doesn't sell it with anger straight away it's all like this, this honest it's like this it's like when you, you when someone tells you your missus has cheated on he you he sells it as nothing he sells it by doing nothing because he's processing it in his head yeah exactly it's the thing of like I've just absorbed some bad news and I'm denying it because I don't think it's possible but deep down when you read his face you know he thinks it's true and it's, I just fucking he's, love he's, that he's, 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 so he's dumbstruck by the event it's like I fucking know this guy and I can actually see that something that I mean that means a lot to me he's actually done that it's, ah, it's just such a great subtle face like fucking hell Mick fucking Foley he's so brilliant here anyway he then confronts The Rock in the locker room about this and just says how could you and The Rock's just like what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> and he's like yeah and he just goes yeah, you, you take my gift and you throw it away and then he just snaps and The Rock's like what do you mean you book he's not your book and he's like it's not my book it's the whole fucking promo I'm sure you've all seen it screams the mask comes flying off which is a great touch accidental or not and he's just you know the jacket comes flying off the rock and sock connection jacket and he just screams about how much the book means to him and how it's his life and he just said uh, and he even drops a Dwayne bomb here yeah. say I'll tell you one thing Dwayne <laughs> uh, I don't want to know you I don't hate you I don't want to wrestle you I just don't want to know you exist and he's just going and the rock at one point cuts you know gets in rock mode and takes the glasses off and then just shuts him down again and at the end just says you live with it and grow up and leaves and, rocks. and the crowd cheers the crowd cheer it the crowd's like yeah if he did that fuck him good on you Foley well, I don't think it was anti-rock cheers it was, no. it was, it was pro Foley standing up for yourself because he just delivered an incredible promo about his life for work so. yeah. and what a way to push the book by the way yeah brilliant fuck <laughs> it now that's great well you got the Vince stuff earlier in the show as well yeah, yeah. it's getting quite shameless isn't it? <laughs> at this point he's carrying it with him all the time talks about the facial expressions yeah yeah the big gulp yeah that's the one 
Uh, yeah, anyway, so after that happens, uh, Boss Man <laughs> is in the ring to wrestle the big show. When Show gets the word that his dad had died, a police officer, a police officer <laughs> comes and tells him that dad is dead. Uh, and Big Show is obviously just, uh, broken up by this. What was disturbing wasn't the angle, says Meltzer, but it was that Ross and Lawler were shot in the exact same way and reacted in the exact identical fashion as their tones and carefully chosen words as the Owen Hart reaction in Kansas City. Yeah. I thought that too. Yeah. It's something that would go on to be known as the Owen Hart voice. Yeah. Whenever they're trying to play seriousness. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, always, it's always very unsettling. Yeah, it's one of those a few one of those few things that start to come through. Little comments this week, uh, these this month, um, Kings before X Pack for DX Heel, JR talks about X Pack's heart, and uh, and uh, he's got a lot of hearts. So Kings new joke is about enlarged hearts, and you yeah. need to go and get that checked out. And it's like fucking dude. It's I'm not sure how many have died at this point from that and how uh, publicizers, really but like, does it add that much? Just like this, just like this angle. Okay. Does it add anything of what you're bringing up? The memories you're jogging, the the, the subjects you're touching mm-hmm. on, the, the proximity to act, actual tragedies. Just fucking don't do it. Yeah, because you don't need to. And you'd think, sorry, it's a bit no, a bit crass, but purely from a PR standpoint, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to say anything that may potentially draw people's eyes or draw people to speculate on those sort of things you don't want to bring attention to it yeah poor move here because when you think like if somebody sees the, you know, if, if it gets pressed look how heartless the WFR in treating this fake tragedy while this lawsuit's going on for the real one yeah that seems a poor move in terms of public image it is but it, it isn't today there's no Twitter and mm. social media I mean if that happened today it would be oh, yeah, it would spread like well for the the, the um, Transit of information is very different by that. So. As it turned out, when we find out on GTV, <laughs> Bossman paid off this cop and his dad's not really dead. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Mega lols. <laughs> yeah. Is that actually he really is dead in real life at this point, but now he's, I think he's still alive been, in fiction world? I'm going to say he'd been. Well, Andre the Giant was his dad. <laughs> Don't go there, brother. <laughs> They brought out the Hardys, Edge and Christian and put the ladder match over big time as the greatest ladder match in the history of the WWF, a major slap in the face of Shawn Michaels and don't think that wasn't part of the intention. Oh, you bastards. Yeah. He's sitting at home, riding again, riding the bench because he's been sent home and they fucking put over the, the Hardys and Edge and Christian as the greatest ladder match of all time, Shawn. <laughs> but look at that nice, look at that revolutionary idea of, oh, these guys have come out of the paper, you're looking good. Let's try and build a little bit on this momentum. Let's big, let's big it up a bit. Yeah. I could have done without Ed saying that he was shooting here. Oh, as, really? as, as he talked about, yeah, you know, how he has respect for Matt and Jeff. I'd forgot he said that. Yeah, mm. crowd give him a little bit of a standing go before Gangrel comes out, and ruins the whole thing, and says as, it, as he's known to do, <laughs> as he's wanted to do, as he's wanted to do, <laughs> comes out with Terry, who the Hardys had won, and says that basically while they were all banged up and you know licking their wounds, he basically nailed Terry is the implication mm. all four of them just kick the shit out of him while Toad just kind of watches on and laughs so she doesn't deny it though <laughs> no she doesn't deny it the show ends with the Holly Cousins winning the tag titles from Mankind and The Rock you ask Carl who The Rock would do a job to Bob Holly here's the answer today Man- he's not even big shot Bob anymore no I know that's the tragedy Mankind is sat on the ring steps with his back towards the ring the entire <laughs> match Rock is selling and he's got the ribs taped up they're actually acknowledging an injury Angle from like the no. night before, crazy. World. D- DDP had injured ribs for about three years, so you know. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, Rock sold pretty much the entire match. Finally, Rock makes the comeback. It's a Rock bottom on Bob. Crowd just eats it up when they think Rock's going to win on his own. Before Triple H runs in, kick wham pedigree, Sparky gets the win. Win the belts, the Holly Cousins. Crash Holly over the Rock. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Mankind then just walked out on him. After the match, Steve Austin attacked Triple H in the entryway, and they wound up in the ring where the Rock used the Rock bottom on Triple H. This is a great scene where after he hits the Rock bottom... He goes to give the people's elbow oh, to Triple H, runs off the ropes, jumps over, and as he comes back to hit the elbow, Austin is in the ring and gives Rock the double middle finger. And Austin's Rock's eyes bug out of his head, classic Rock fashion. Triple H gets up, gets the stunner, and then Rock and Austin just kind of glare at each other as the show closes. Fucking that was so well done at the end. Ah, I loved it. It's all Rock and Austin. Triple H can just fuck off out of the way, really. It's all Rock and Austin. That's the way it should be, though. And then yeah. Triple H the one that comes out comes out with the belt and the yeah. face is still chasing and he's, the heel's got a bit more heat on him it's and good stuff are tripping over each other's dicks so. it's, it's almost booking 101 isn't it weird weird that weird that so the ratings are in oh, yeah. this is an interesting story so Russo's first show back first show sorry for WCW Nitro did a 3.3 up from the 2.6 Raw did a 5.4 obviously everyone knows Russo's left a 5.4 Nitro's increase was mainly from a 45 minute period starting with Billy Kidman versus David Flair and Sting versus Bret Hart in the WCW title match which drew a 3.3, 3.2 and 3.5 quarter much better than WCW had been doing in head-to-head periods in recent weeks After the Hart and Sting match which drew WCW's best quarter rating to within 1.6 points of the WWF well, um, <laughs> yeah, I was in the gap. Yeah, Raw's strongest quarter was a five point nine for Godfather versus Viscera. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So the last two highest segments we've had. Week four. What? What? Woman? The week before was Ivory and May Young, wasn't it? Yeah, and this week it's the hose. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Well, I remember pattern. Sable did do those great numbers earlier in the year. She did. And Deborah was doing pretty well as well for a bit there. Um, yeah, also, interview exchanges involving Mankind and Rock in China and Jericho also did a 5.4. Sorry, a 5.9. The Nitro show, believe it or not, was still disorganised, with a lot of wrestlers confused about things. Wrestlers didn't know if they were supposed to be the faces or the heels in segments. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me asking this question say, every week. I was going to say, what, why should it just be the audience that's confused? As witnessed by Flair thinking he was the heel against the Filthy Animals in their segments, and the Filthy Animals thinking they were turning heel against Flair by jumping him, resulting in a confused crowd which signed with Flair since they were four on one. I think the Filthy Animals are probably right in this instance. No, nobody, nobody could get straight answers, and that segment apparently changed five different times during the show. Vince Russo said to various wrestlers something to the effect that there are no such things as faces and heels. There you go. There were scripts handed out far more detailed than anyone had had in the past and new characters, notably Kimberly, Bagwell, Jarrett and the Filthy Animals, seemingly in line for big pushes. No such thing as faces and heels. I'm I'm glad glad he's, he's... He's spelled that out for me because every week we do one of these timeline shows. I feel like I'm repeating myself saying who's the, fa- who's the heel and who's the faces. I'm sure there's lots of modern wrestling fans who haven't do- who didn't watch this at the time, only watch the current products, and they're thinking you don't need heels or faces because you know everyone just works with everyone. It goes all goes around in a big circle. Does, does it matter? Does it matter? Look at the rate. Look at the numbers. And okay, I'm glad. I'm just yeah. I'm just moving out loud. And that's that's, yeah, that's welcome yeah. here. You're not wrong, are you? 
That's face. <laughs> People can say you don't need face and heels and look at the current problem. I was completely bullshit. It's, yeah, I'm, they're wrong. I, it's like they're wrong. If you're listening, fuck you. You're wrong. <laughs> it's like moron. What a stupid take. Oh yeah. Vince Russo. It's, right, it's, well, he's to expose himself on the first day on the job. Well, complete crap. Not understanding the basic tenets of this fucking, fucking industry. Cretin. <laughs> Wanker. Wanker. <laughs> but it's but it's. I know we're go, I'm going a bit off piece here, but it's it, it's like this suggestion where. You, you look at it now and it, it's all sort of muddled booking and the 50-50 booking and all that sort of thing and this notion of well the company's doing fine and don't get me wrong it is doing fine off the back of these TV deals but someone I can't remember who it was referred to it as another boom period in wrestling and it got me to thinking actually about what actually constitutes a boom period is it just the amount of revenue that a company will bring in further down the line or is it about the actual popularity of the business that's and how far it stretches. That's how I measure it. It's a boom in Vince's pocket, and that's great, but it's not a boom for the interest in the, in the business. It's, it's different, different beast. It's just curious, you get these takes from people, and you sit there and think, no, there are basic tenants, as we've said, heels and faces, sorry, heels and faces is one of them, and another is, think about, you mentioned it there, Kieran, for the last Raw, that nice logical reason for booking the world title match you've got the two baby faces who are hot the healer who needs the boost the one baby face merits the shot because he won the night before the other baby face has a valid point has been wronged because he's been wronged mm -hmm. and arguably would have won the belt if the other baby face hadn't got involved it's all logical it all makes sense and to emphasise how important these individuals are you close the show with them <laughs> sits back in his chair let's get that get off my lawn let's get that blood boiling a little bit more Carl the buff doing a job angle was done in this manner to create the idea that there is a booker who tells people to lose since the original plan was something along the lines of Hogan versus Sting with Hogan doing the same thing trying to exercise his creative control and refusing to do the job in the match somehow Russo or whoever will play the Vincent Mann role will get his way at the end and Hogan will leave only to come back as an anti-authority babyface fuck you Vinny Roo <laughs> <laughs> it's just no one knows that Hogan has creative control the viewing audience don't know and if they did know they probably don't care they don't want to be told that everything's fake we know deep down that it's not real but it's the suspension of disbelief and the notion of some sort of sporting context to the events as they occur which is why the belt used to mean something Fucking! <laughs> <laughs> I hate Russo. It's going to get worse as we do these timelines. Bastard! What's he doing these days? I'd love to have him on for a shave sometime. He found God. Where? <laughs> where, where, where was he? <laughs> I'm sure. I doubt he was in New Jersey. <laughs> no, I think Russo lives in Indiana now. God <laughs> was in Indiana all yeah. along. Who fucking knew, yeah. eh? The no, Jews he's... picked a wrong place. <laughs> moved to move the capital from Jerusalem to fucking Indiana. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> what was that Jim Cornette line? Most people find God when the regular folk don't want to talk to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the biggest sign that while things have changed on the surface, behind the scenes, there was a lot of communication work needed. 
was on Nitro in the opener with Hooven 2 Guerrero and Evan Courageous. Neither Guerrero nor Courageous, nor even the referee, were told ahead of time that Bret Hart was coming. <laughs> it, sh- it shows. Yeah, it shows. Which is why they seemed so confused as to what to do, not knowing if they were supposed to sell for him since he never attacked them, or if they should attack him, which they didn't. So Hoovey in particular just stood there. He was there for a while too. Like, yeah. what the fuck am I doing? He's like, he's like this. Well, the re- the referee kept sort of having his arms outstretched, like sort of holding the two of them off, as if the match was going to restart at some point. He didn't know. Like, yep, yeah, just let him say this. Then we'll get back to the match. I assume. Yeah, I assume that. Yeah, yeah. Just, Complete fuck up. Well, you know, we, we could tell them, and 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 get them to sort of act surprised or confused. But if we don't tell them, just look at how more realistic it's going to be. Imagine that. Imagine if you went to watch. I don't know, let's say Hamlet. And then, <laughs> one day, the director thinks, I know what we'll do, we'll fucking change things up a bit here, and he makes Hamlet a paedophile. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, let's say... Well, to t- but you don't tell the actors. <laughs> you just change the script one night before they're about to perform, and say, by the way... Sean Connery, tonight <laughs> you're touching up little kids as Hamlet. We'll get to something of that ilk, Kieran, because Seven <laughs> is not far away from our TV screens. Indeed, we'll see more from him next oh, week. Yeah. We'll see more from him next week. <clears throat> the plan is also to temporarily finish up Ric Flair. There's Alan no Hamlet. plan. <laughs> A role that Flair isn't happy about at all. At press time, they were going to change Flair versus DDP to a strap match, which the plan is will end with Flair taking such a beating he'll be stretched out and hospitalised instead of be injured to the extent he'll never wrestle again. The idea Flair was told that he, they would be bringing him back in a few months in a figurehead president role and would probably wrestle occasional matches in that role. So Flair's career in WCW is scripted to basically end with him being stretched out by DDP, one of only two people in the company that for personal reasons Flair has been vocally against putting over. Flair is pushing to turn back heel. Of course he is. He's very unhappy about the direction of his character and again there is talk of him retiring as an in-ring performer. But but Russo's master plan is to put him in the situation he was in back in January, February, March, April... When business May died. of that year. When business died. Yeah. I think Russo being very conscious of what the direct attitude is about them being an old company. So the whole idea here is, especially with you, know, Hogan's going to take some time away, Flair's going to take some time away, let's just get some of the old fogies out of the way. It's pretty well been decreed, at least temporarily, that Chris Jericho is being slated for a mid-card role and the company has been disappointed in his work. There's been a lot of excuses thrown around as to why Jericho isn't working out, but the answer is simple, says Meltzer. His failure to get any W's against top guys is why people don't take him as a top guy. Excuses on why his matches in the ring haven't got heat miss the entire point that it is obvious, even glancing WF television the past few months. With the exception of Rock and Austin, nobody gets heat in TV matches anymore. Triple H does great promos and once his match starts, unless it's against Rock or Austin, he gets no heat. So, uh bit of vitriol there about the state of Jericho although as you've said Kieran not necessarily completely unfounded no um, I thought he did his style did stand out and also he should have, shouldn't have been a heel anyway should have been a face yeah. when he came in so this is the way where he yeah. gravitates to in the next few months anyway yeah I mean, the dynamic's wrong I don't think it's I don't think it's just simply a case of not getting W's against top guys so much as just a lack of apart from the fleeting months when he debuts and the one this month 
a general lack of interaction with the top guys. He's not a focus when, for anyone. When, when your interaction on TV, in the rare instances that you are used, involves the likes of China, the headbangers, Howard Finkel, Howard Finkel, Curtis, Curtis Hughes, Hughes, a bit with the APA, Ken Shamrock, who's kind of Ken Shamrock, off. who's since gone. Yeah. yeah. Road Dog, and that's it. Well, oh, be careful about that road dog. Oh, I, yeah. I hear he can make life difficult. Oh yeah. Oh, he's doing a good job. For the job person he's wrestling normally. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of people who have that tendency, Vampiro who hasn't been mentioned much on this podcast. Was given word before Thunder this week that they were going to exercise their 90-day option to drop him from the four-year, $350,000 per year deal that Bischoff signed with him just before Bischoff was fired, and they told him he wouldn't be pushed anymore. <laughs> Before Nitro, four days later, Vince Russo told him that they wanted to push him, but he had no say-so when it came to the contracts. Dylan then offered him $175,000 per year, so cut his money in half, plus first-class travel. <laughs> Vampiro called Terry Taylor to try and get into the WWF, but they aren't interested in anybody until they see the actual contract release. WCW then upped its offer to Vampiro to $200,000 and promised him a push after all. ICP, who threatened to either quit or sign every other week, were also unhappy because they were yelled at backstage by Goldberg, who didn't like the way they handled themselves and their angle on Nitro. Don't blame him. They actually left in a huff with Vampiro in protest, but now he's returning and they're fucked. <laughs> and that is the end of the Insane Clown Posse in WCW. For now. For now. There'll, yeah, there'll be a time when they return. We'll get to that. Hopefully in the long distant future. Bischoff should have been shit canned just for that deal alone. ICP? No. Three hundred and fifty thousand for him. Three fifty, sorry, three fifty, and yeah, well, he was canned like days later, so maybe that wasn't the breaking point. Fucking Vampiro! Look how his money we're losing. He gave him how much? <laughs> He's not even in a band. He can't play live on Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like he's in a band. Yeah. Terry Taylor's WWF future remains questionable after a meeting with McMahon on October twentieth. Taylor was pushing hard for Russo's position of head writer. He spearheaded the writing team for the previous two weeks of WF TV and was apparently mad because he thought he wrote good TV and McMahon changed most of it. There was apparently also a problem because McMahon was insistent on Taylor signing the loyalty pledge and Taylor wasn't going to. The meeting ended with Taylor being sent home for a two-week sabbatical. From Russo to the rooster. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the uh, the desire of Terry Taylor. It didn't work out. And there was a funny note about how if he was to go back to WCW, there might be human relations problems on that front. Can't think, can't think why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a note in the torch this week. In order to offset the existing shortage of heels, made worse by the disappointing start of Chris Jericho, look for Viscera to get a bigger push. Oh, what? God, you do see the mark, the hallmarks of that, don't you? Some say mankind is en route towards a heel turn. Although no one wants to rush it, Test is seen as a future top heel as well, but probably not until after WrestleMania at the soonest. There's also been talk of turning Kane heel again. So Jericho, not good enough. Viscera! There's a guy who's got his shit together in the ring. The old uh, Vince trope of, let's go to a big guy. Yeah, you need some heels, who's big? Because <laughs> it worked in 95. Stellar. Yeah. Stellar. There has been talk this week of Eric Bischoff returning to either manage Hulk Hogan or to manage Nash and Hall. According to one of those aforementioned three, it was even considered to debut him this week, but it was decided that he hadn't been gone long enough. 
uh, before he come back. <laughs> Said Kevin Nash retired for how many weeks? Hasn't been six weeks yet, I guess, maybe. Who knows? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, August. August, August, that's right, yeah. Uh, I suppose it depends when the. Well, no, Bishop was gone in September. It was, last, it, was, it was a month ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been about four or five weeks. So, maybe next week we'll see. Longer than some Terry Funk retirements. Yes. The plan was also to keep Hall and Nash in the crowd and not do angles or wrestle until December, but that's been rushed as well. Part of your, your great query, uh, your great quip, sorry, I should say, last week, Kieran, about the long term planning in WCW and how they're just going to do it a little bit quicker. <laughs> Which leads us now to October 24th, WCW Halloween Havoc. 8,464 fans in the building, doesn't sell out. A naught point... Doesn't, doesn't sell out, it's less than half of the <laughs> possible capacity of the MGM Grand. Did I not do that justice there? Less than 50% attendance. A 0.52 buy rate for 195,000 buys. Frankly, I'm amazed they did that money. <laughs> that is that is quite a staggering number when you really think about it. Considering that four brawl the month before was like a naught point fucking two nine or whatever it was. Anyway, the big story here we got to talk about it. Hulk Hogan lying down for Sting in the title match. Who wants to break this down? Okay, Carl, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what what can you say? This is supposed to lead to a hiatus, and there is talk that he's actually going to be coming back with the name Terry Bollea and not Hulk Hogan. We're shooting, folks. We're shooting. Um, it's right, right, right. it's it's what you know and hate from the typical Russo shtick. Sting comes out first. Hogan doesn't come out. Tony sounds confused. They play the music again. He's still not coming out. Heenan doesn't give the impression he cares. Neither do I. Hogan walks out in street clothes. Oh, yeah. Talks with Sting and then lies down, and Sting looks pissed off. Pins him. One, two, three. We immediately cut away, because this wasn't supposed to happen. No, absolutely cut away. Uh, the crowd are a mixture of confused, slash don't care, slash feel cheated. I think it's the confusion. The confusion is the, the overriding thing of the crowd. Because, so the, first of all, this title match, the main event, is going on in the middle of the show, which makes no sense. Hogan's music plays first, and he doesn't come out. So that this is this is the this is the Russo genius. This is Russo foreshadowing. You say this is Hogan being a dick because he should come out first. And this is where the commentators get to, get to say, or to, it's Hogan power play maybe something along those lines. Mm. Um, and then it all goes down. It's just. Hogan again Stone Cold Terry Bollea in his uh, cut off sleeves and his jeans and his whatever. fooling nobody fooling no one uh, it's just it's, it's it's pure Russo pure Russo 101 this is it wasn't made as clear to the fans what this was all about as I was so. saying <laughs> it was pure Russo yeah the idea is obviously the writers were ordering Hogan to do a job um it wasn't as clear as it needed to be, and with no follow-up on television the next day, this came off as a silly exercise in masturbation. <laughs> well, so, so, but that bit was real, right? Yeah. That bit was real. Moving on, quickly, to the other big story on the show, Stone Cold Sid. Stone Cold <laughs> Sid. He got yeah, colour on this yeah, one. The, the heel is unmercifully jumped in the back by babyface Bill Goldberg. And valiantly fights on in the match despite incredible blood loss. It's heroic. Yes. And the fact from, that from the from the man 
with the bullshit winning streak with, <laughs> way, with Rick Steiner and Little Nature for friends. Fucking winner. Yeah. And and also, let's not forget that in this match, all the announcers are doing is talking about how tough Sid is. Yeah. Because uh, the, the streak's legit, apparently. Yeah. It's gone all over the place. There was, there was one show this month where they were kind of treating it like a bit of a joke. Heenan was. Like, ah, yeah. Why is he up now? 160 an hour? Something like that. Uh, yeah, but at this point, Heenan's treating everything like a joke. And why shouldn't he? Because it is. <laughs> So after after Sid loses by referee stoppage, he gets back up to continue <laughs> the fight. Completely no sold it. Completely no sold it. Rick Steiner comes out to drag him to the back. What? Wonders off with him. Wonders off with him. Sid then comes back again trying to go for a fight for being kind of pushed away. He does do a wonderful little stagger though afterwards. He does. He, like he, he, so he bows up. He's, he's looking like a man. the best work of Sid's life. That's who it is. Cause apart from Shawn Michaels. He, he, well, that's, that's nothing to do with him. He, he, so, so he now sells the beating in the ring. And like he's like, oh for fuck's sake! And like he's there with Rick, who no sells everything anyway on oh, a yeah. basis. So it's like, oh, these this fucking pair. But then he's staggering away, and then he does his little stagger. Like, yeah, okay, he's actually selling. He has got. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mind that. Song. I didn't mind it. I don't give him credit for that. Do you know? I just think it's his natural, you know, uncoordinated nature. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it might be the case. Mm. So this leads to the main event where Sting just comes out again for an open challenge. Goldberg answers. Of course, Goldberg won the US title here, by the way, against Sid. Goldberg answers the challenge of Sting. They do a little match. Leapfrog, Spear, Jackhammer, Goldberg wins, raises the belt in the air, and that's how the show goes off the air. Yep, he's, Goldberg. He's given the belt by Charles Robinson. Yes. So there's reason to think that this is a world title match. Shivani says several times on commentary that it's not a world well, title they, match. They in, in the build-up throughout the show, after Sting does the promo early in the show, so issuing the open challenge, um, so all throughout the show, it's, it's a shot for the world title, who's going to take the opportunity, and it's pushed as a world title up until it's not announced as one, so they say, oh, we're here, and it's not for the world title. Then Little Nature holds up the belt as the match starts, and again, they're audibly confused on commentary, and then at the end, he's given the belt, and he holds it up, and again, they're further further confused and, and we have to say and this is the commentators and we have to say what an incredible heel act by Sting knowing that the fans have been cheated and that he came here to perform he wants a fight what a son of a bitch <laughs> what an absolute grade A prick he is boo that man boo that man for wanting to deliver for short changed fans why didn't he say something along the lines of here you go if I'm going to make the effort to be in this shit old town, <laughs> I can at least get an appearance fee, a match, fee, a match bonus or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Give him a reason. Fight if, the night bonus. if I'm coming to the desert, I at least want the money for the slots. It's probably a case that the commentators have deliberately been kept out of the loop. Sting genuinely doesn't think it's for the belt. Charles Robinson's probably been told by Russo oh, it's oh, for the belt. Carl, Carl, <laughs> um, do you not remember what happened to Little Nature at the start of this match? There's no fucking referee. No, so As he Sting can, and Goldberg are running around. Yeah. Little Nature, who had been beaten up. Who'd been beaten up. He's seen Ric Flair, the man he loves, stretched out by face slash heel filthy animals who are feuding with face slash heel revolution. <laughs> With tears in his eyes, 
but he can run out for the sprint out for this main event. Yeah. It's what Rick would have wanted. <laughs> oh, oh, and Brazilian, just, Brazilian just, just for any of our listeners who didn't watch this show, and God bless you, I don't blame you if you didn't, Ric Flair ends the night in the desert again. We'll There's something that. about 1999 in the desert. We'll come to that. Anyway, no referee uh, showed up because he wasn't told to be out there. They pretty much had to rush him out there. Sting was visibly upset when he got backstage about the lack of organisation. And uh, no one being actually assigned to this impromptu match with Goldberg. Goldberg wins. Elsewhere on this show, Lex beats Brett. Ride that momentum train, Brett. Now, like I said, I love Lex during the period. This finish did not deserve to happen. To anybody, really. It's criminal. A half crab finish. And he, he taps. He, he submits Bret Hart. Bret, babyface Bret Hart, who's gone into a bit of sympathy over the course of this year, is tap, tapping out. The Sting and Lex. Sting and Lex. He's got an ankle injury, you see, from the ball bound. It's broken by yeah. the next night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bret, who's having to sell the shot from the ball, um, from the baseball bat, six days prior. Mm-hmm. Seven days prior, yeah, whatever it was. But the filthy animals can recover from crowbar shots from Ric Flair. Yeah. In the same you, night. Tony Flair. He's old. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Benoit, who drew the unlucky assignment on the work of Rick Steiner again, gets healed on by Dean Malenko. So now there's three members of the revolution who are actually pricks. This was painful as well with Rick selling absolutely nothing, nothing for Benoit. Yeah. Cock. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if anybody's like, stock has dropped. Like DDP's, because that was actually you know, somewhat decent before it's plummeted during this timeline. Rick Steiner is just descending to like bottom five all-time territory for me. Oh yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's in the discussion. Yeah, I'd love to see him get Lesnar. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm. Fucking Berlin loses to Brad Armstrong. Oh god. Brad Armstrong, who on TV before Halloween Havoc lost, and also got involved in the Rick Steiner match where Rick Steiner then just beats the shit out of him. Yeah. What a way to build up Brad Armstrong ahead of beating, I believe at that stage, the undefeated Berlin. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Great stuff. The Direction is throwing a lot of angles and surprises at the fans with a lot of last-minute card changes and concentrating a lot less on bell-to-bell or natural logical progression, says Dave Meltzer. <laughs> this is an analysis of what this new company looks like. Um, again, there's a lot of talk about the writers on this mm-hmm. show and the writers are coming. And Lots of talk about how... Lots of talk about how the show looks different as well. It doesn't really. No, it doesn't. No, it's the exact same setup of Halloween Havoc the year before, and the year before that, and quite possibly the year before that. <laughs> it's effectively the same set in the same arena for the last five years. Looks different to me. Jeff Jarrett's new, I suppose. That's true. Oh, we've got to talk about that. The Jeff Jarrett Buff Bagwell fight on this show that leads to Lex Luger doing a run in. Grabbing the guitar to try and avenge the presumed shot on Liz by Jeff Jarrett. Swings the guitar for Jeff Jarrett and fucking waylays Jarrett Ducks and he fucking waylays Bagwell with the handle of the guitar. On the base of the neck. Fucking, it makes the best noise ever. It sounds like this. <laughs> and Buff just fucking grabs his head and drops like a sack of potatoes. I have no idea how this guitar did not love, break. I just love Lex Luger now. <laughs> what a great month. No, let's not gloss over the fact that during his run in, he hits a security guard in the shoulder. 
<laughs> the warning sign's there before he gets in the ring. And then, and then breaks the guitar with the turnbuckle because yeah. he had to. Puts over the turnbuckle because that's, <laughs> that's well hard. And then this, this guitar just disintegrates. So how on earth it didn't break over... But yeah. I, have a bag, I have no idea. The damage was done by both. I guess Larkin. so, I guess so. The structural damage was done. Yeah, indeed. So also on the show, DDP does in fact lay out Ric Flair, bloodies him up, they ship him off, the filthy animals hijack the ambulance. There was a major issue here because uh Russo apparently all day was lobbying with the uh, the standards and practices rep that we mentioned about trying to get blood in the SID match and can we have some blood and can we have some blood, can we have some blood? And they finally relented and said, Yes, you can do blood in the SID match. And Flair goes out and gigs. Oh boy! This before, was he aware that he was going to get phased down at this point? Yeah. Oh, it should have been. He knew. He yeah, should have. Yeah. Yeah. He knew. He knew. So yeah. God damn it, brother! If I'm if if I'm going to be stretched out and off TV for a while, I'm going to get some colour. Yeah. So we move to the next day. Bill Bush told the wrestlers before the October 25th Nitro show that it was official that Nitro will go to two hours in January, which, with the style of show they're doing, is a change for the better. He never said which two hours would air, and reports out of WCW are contradictory at this point. One and three. (laughs) (laughs) With with the middle hour being thunder. (laughs) (laughs) They also talked about having major problems with the standards and practices department. At the meeting, Ric Flair's name was never mentioned, nor was he buried personally, but there was tremendous heat on him for the blade job at the pay-per-view. Bill Bush said from this point on, there would be no more referee bumps without authorization, which, that alone is a staggering comment that people could just do if they wanted to, and that there would be no more juicing or swearing on television without authorization, and no male could grab or hit a woman unless it was within the context of a match. At which point I hear uh, Jeff Jarrett saying, Bollocks. <laughs> that, fuck, fuck, and, fuck. And that explains why we get certain things that we get in the soon-to-be-announced tournament. <laughs> yes, indeed. So move to that night, October 25th, on Nitro. We start with Sting, sans get-up, sans paint, in a delightful white shirt and jeans. With no belt. No belt. Just walking around backstage, throwing bins around, looking for J.J. Dillon. Comes out. Uh, to the ring without his costume complaining about Goldberg getting the title he said he helped the company out of a jam when the main event didn't take place but he never said it was a title match right. which is accurate JJ Dillon comes out and agreed with him but then told him they're stripping him of the belt anyway because he attacked the referee after the match fucking bogus <laughs> yeah and then some and Bill Bush disagrees <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a crock of shit this was yes. This is a this is a Russo special as well. Oh yeah. He yeah, wants yeah. to buy, he wants it to be vacant. We just need an excuse. He didn't give a fuck. It doesn't matter if it's a piss poor excuse. It's where we're going is important. Yeah. It's 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 the, the sort of should we call it the almost half hearted reset. It's not quite the full reset that he does a few months later in two thousand, but semi set. Mm, yeah. They announced a thirty two man tournament beginning with this T V show ending at the November pay per view in Toronto. Oh, pay per view in Canada. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Can you, Adam and Eve? It? Can you? Sting then put JJ in the Scorpion, probably because it was a bollocks decision. To babyface cheers. And rightfully so. Goldberg runs in, and he and Sting had a bit of a fight with no one selling anything that I enjoyed. Yeah. This looked good. This made me think, fuck, I hope this is the final of the tournament, Goldberg and Sting. Or maybe they wrestle at Starcade or something. That'd be good. It's Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> End of that dream. Um, Mike Graham approaches Nash and Hall backstage, who are bringing a call out of the trunk of the car, and tell them they have to wrestle tonight. 
Um, they acted like they were drunk and told some short man jokes I'm sure you appreciate Carl yep, they're on the sheet they're on the sheet to wrestle the filthy animals and Toy Wilson came out they showed the animals burying Flair in the desert so there he is Flair is gone and the animals get the uh, the credit for it I suppose so anyway uh, Malenko and Saturn ran in and left all four animals laying with foreign objects so so much for that fucking yep. momentum they gathered so thank god for the heels running in <laughs> to attack these to heels a- to attack the four heels yeah, two on four. Asia and, and coming off the better for it. Asia is there and kidnapping Wilson. She's out of the asylum too now. She is also out of the okay. asylum. Yes, um, <laughs> out of the frying pan to the fire when it comes to that. <laughs> mm. They're doing an angle that if Hennig loses a match by pinfall, he's fired because the new writers think he's too old. <clears throat> Which now I don't understand this because second, like six days ago. There was this thing about the wins and losses. There's a writer, and guys were told to win and lose. But now I don't understand this. <laughs> Mr. Perfect, because that's his name, because Ric Flair said it, is. I guess his his matches are real. His matches, or he must have something in his contract that stipulates that the writers can't make him lose. Is that it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He has quite the in-depth discussion with Brad Armstrong about something. Oh yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Brad Armstrong's got a brother. He's got a brother. Be more like your brother. Baby brother. Who? I don't know Scott Armstrong I suppose but, you know, that's the one we've seen on WCW yeah. but these writers need to be careful because otherwise apparently something's going to go down <laughs> whatever that is it's, it's never referenced again but they allude to it <laughs> ratings <laughs> on fucking god damn it fucking bastards <laughs> so Kurt Ennick hits the referee in a match with Lash LaRue and just gets DQ'd that's Lash LaRue that's a nice and easy yeah. way to this the hell's that one all about no idea what did someone think his upside what does, was? What does he know about who? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I know what it is. The Rock's over. The Rock has sideburns. Rock's, the Rock's sideburns are nothing compared to Lash LaRue's sideburns. Imagine what numbers we can draw. <laughs> we get the hype video where a child is in his bed and then we hear the voice talking about what is in your closet? It's what Hamlet. is in your window? It's Hamlet. Yes, yes. It's, this, it's either Hamlet. <laughs> it's Hamlet. Join or, me in complete bliss. Or for some reason, the ghost of Yoda has possessed the body of Uncle Fester, who's now terrorising small children. Now sleep, my child. What did you think of this? Did you, did you recognise it as Dustin? I just thought it was... <laughs> I thought it was quite terrifying at the time or it, now d- yeah just just in sense of it, this, this is disturbing this is just some what do you think about that shitty effect is, at the end where the eyes go oh, black on the kids I, I must so cheap. I, I must admit I did I, I was a little high when I watched this <laughs> and it did scare me you did and nothing scares me more than black eyed kids as well yeah that shit's scary because they're real everyone knows that yeah everyone's seen you know Children of the Damned and all that but it's just you're just watching I like this this is some <laughs> creepy bloke lurking outside a child's bedroom the fuck's going on I had no idea what was going on I believe I, I thought I'd, I thought I'd knock the remote or something the first time I watched it I remember the I, 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 I thought what the hell is, what the fuck is this I remember watching the vignette at the time when it aired and being thinking the same it's like fuck that's weird and I didn't even somehow somehow I didn't recognise that it was Dustin Rhodes <laughs> how does how does something like that because let's face it, the connotations are fucking plain as day. 
It's some sort of. I think it's some some bloke stalking a child. Looking at his window. How, how else are you meant to? How else are you really meant to interpret that? How did that get through standards and practices? He's a kiddie fiddler. Is that the, that's, that's how you? I'm it? sure. All they have to do is well, you play this film on TNT and it's got children's band or whatever. Uh, so it's only it's, it's only what happens in films. There's, n- there's no paedophilia. It's all it's all it's all it's all dark magic, baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's dark. I believe the child was Cody Rhodes. Oh man. Yeah. Is that true or not? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I think they, the kid. I think it was kid. Because I'm pretty sure Dusty filmed this. Oh. They made it themselves. The Rhodes family. I think they made this themselves. That kind of uh, it's a hard kind ahead of, of time. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. kind of explains the production values of it, doesn't it? I. I, I, I'm I'm gonna have to go back and watch that thing yeah. again. Yeah, I think, I think to see should. if that is Cody. Yeah, um, it's just so sinister. I was kind of yeah, I kind of like you know, I'd be interested to see what they do with this character. That was the thing I was thinking. How the how is this character going to be portrayed in this company? In, when when yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. When, when the videos stop, it's just going to be probably a bit a bit poo. <laughs> Yeah, but I was, I was interested. Well, not really interested. Holy! <laughs> <laughs> you were mildly curious. I can't really think of the correct. He was high. He doesn't know it. Holy match! Didn't this show's probably better to watch high. To be honest, it probably makes more sense. It totally doesn't. <laughs> You just forget more. <laughs> All the national yeah. interview. But they promised to do something to get centred tonight. Oh, oh top, uh, of the, top of the hour. Top of the hour. So, I, I yeah. thought a couple of the backstage skits with these two were quite humorous. Mm. Um, that's as good as it got. <laughs> Goldberg then came out and got a promo on them from the crowd. So uh, that's, that's still bubbling over. In a segment I completely have no recollection of, Randy Savage and Gorgeous George return. Randy yeah. in his red yeah in his red in the, in the red sequins both of them Randy yeah I completely <laughs> forgot this ever no, happened no 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 fucking recollection Savage was supposed to bring up how the writers consider him different than Flair and Hogan which he kind of said but then he started talking about passing the torch which went nowhere a promo that just went completely nowhere talking about how Flair and Hogan are old news but he's you know gonna last forever mentioned passing the torch to somebody never said who I don't think we do see him again. He just, he just imagined he was talking to the boys in the back like all the other top stars did. The boys. Yeah. We're yeah. going to pass the torch. So as a tournament match in a 32-man tournament, Medusa is one of them wrestling Meng, and Meng can't actually do anything, really. And he doesn't actually touch it. He just kind of stalks Medusa for most of the match. It's yeah. just crap. It's, it's turgid. Yeah, it's turgid stuff. Speaking of turgid, oh, fuck me, I can't wait to talk about this. Lex Luger, Rick Steiner. This had the best finish of all time. So, they're having this fucking tournament match, and Jeff Jarrett comes out and goes to hit Luger with a guitar, misses, because no one can hit anyone properly in this company. Who's the heel? Is, who's the heel needs the Oh, they're both heels. Okay. Rick Stein and Lex Luger. Jarrett swings the guitar, another heel, comes in, swings the guitar at Lex, hits Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner is up in like three seconds, walking after Jarrett, who runs away. Fuck you, man. Who plead? Who also pleads his case to heal Liz? Yeah, but it wasn't him. Yeah. Anyway, so as you know, Rick is walking away. Liz is kind of like twisted her ankle on the floor. Luger's helping her to her feet, and the most <laughs> counting them out, counting them both out, and then Luger realizes 
on like eight or nine. Eight, eight. Fuck this! And he just drops him on the ground and gets back in. And then when the bell rings, he's fucking all over it. Like he's just won the 94 Rumble. And she's pissed off him, pissed at him. And he, was it, he says something like, We won, baby! Yeah, we won, baby! <laughs> just win, baby. Just win, baby. Lex Luger. Hey, it's Take for, a bow. It's for the belt. I'd do exactly the same. <laughs> Bagwell is back doing a promo talking about the writers. Buff said he wouldn't be doing any more jobs. Two huge bald guys in suits came out and destroyed him. I was thrilled to see these fucking idiots back. Creative control. Creative control. Yeah. The Harris boys. Ron and Don. Ron and Don are back. (laughs) That's what we need. May as well be Dick and Don. The six, eight guys that the WF doesn't even fucking want anymore. Think about that. (laughs) Think about that. We get a random, rather, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, last man standing match, one day after Malenko had turned heel on him. And they're not having a bad match, crowd's quite into it. And the finish, they do a double clothesline and Benoit just beats the count on a double clothesline. And that's it. After the match, the filthy animals run in, all kick the shit out of Malenko and Benoit just kind of lets them and walks off. I must admit, I do like the, I do like the way Benoit just sort of sidesteps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about him? Yeah, do what you want. Don't but listen. that would imply that this in this situation, the animals are the faces now. Yeah, like, yeah, but it's a four on one beatdown, so they're still heels. Oh, good point. And Benoit's with it. Benoit, whilst it would seem somewhat callous to leave a prone man to get beaten up by four individuals, has his reasons. Oh yeah, I oh, know Benoit's definitely a face. The, o- so, the only bit of consistency in the entire fucking program. Benoit's definitely a face, but the, the four on one beatdown. Oh, I just very confused. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, Douglas and Saturn came out holding Wilson as a, as a hostage and made the filthy animals leave Malenko alone or else they'd hurt Tori. Uh, they then took Tori and put him in a car and drove off. Mysterio and Guerrero left to find her, while Conan and Kidman just stayed in the building to win the tag team titles of Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat got them back. Oh, I yeah, guess, they won them back at in the by the way. Yeah, that made by, a lot of by sense. pinfall in the back while someone else was being pinned in the ring and the crowd hadn't realised. Yeah, the crowd didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love this company. <laughs> Paul and Nash's surprise opponents were three strippers. Oh, this is the worst thing of all. Wasn't one oh. of them Che from the Nitro Girls? I think so. Oh, okay. I it just is. I just assumed that was like a first date story between her and Nash. <laughs> this is fucking turd. This is interminable. Yeah. They're doing like the spoof of like selling and stuff where like Nash is doing the whole thing. Probably the most animated he was yeah, all year. I thought that. To fake this hot tag. Shivani's yucking it up on commentary. Oh, of course he is, fucking imbecile. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's 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 getting fucking marionette. There's one we should mention that like these three girls, like two of them are your standard, you know, standard fair blondes, and then there's one girl who just looked like she was smuggling basketballs under the shit, like ridiculous, yeah, oh god, yes, human being, like that is not healthy. I don't know who the fuck you are, but yeah, her back is must be worse than Sky Steiner's like today <laughs> she's she's probably dead now oh I didn't mean come on oh. which probably true oh, oh so that's the line that is the line the paedophilia comparison is fine <laughs> but that's the line mine was an analogy so in the end the ridiculous looking one uh, said that if uh, they laid down for her they'd take her she'd take her shirt off so they did <laughs> the only so everyone else gets to win in the company I guess so uh, she then teased taking her shirt off until Goldberg ran in and speared Horn and Nash and got booed for it because he interrupted the, the woman getting naked. It would be quite the Russo trick, wouldn't it, in that you managed to make the fans hate the only person they've cared about for the last four months. 
because god damn it Carl they never booked him right to begin with uh, and there's no such thing as faces and heels so why should it matter if Goldberg gets booed Bret Hart limping badly then beat Goldberg in a tournament match for the United States Championship after a rough bump this is Gimp Bret Hart who's lost to Sting and Luger at the pay-per-view with a broken ankle with a broken ankle beats Bill Goldberg for Goldberg's only second loss however having the second belt he's he also, lost in one he, night he also place. loses the US title in the process of this tournament just to conflate matters even more having been stripped of the world title having been stripped of the world title and having spent the last night talking up the courage of Sid and almost appearing to try and babyface him in front of the crowd the night before and on commentary runs in and attacks Goldberg <laughs> yeah as part of the schmars yeah high kick uh, Hall with a choke slam Nash with a side slam Sid with a power bomb Brett crawls in and gets the pin even though Goldberg lifted his shoulder on three because everybody does these days in WCW <laughs> probably, probably thought he was supposed to but that's one great thing about Halloween Havoc I forgot to mention Goldberg walked into the ring flanked by security Hall and Nash attack him security to do nothing <laughs> Yeah, well, they're there for everyone else's safety, not Bill's, obviously. <laughs> Fuck Bill! <laughs> anyway, so that's that's this fucking disaster of an episode of Nitro. It's just chaos. I quite like that, you know, as a gimmick for a heel, like a monster heel, like a wild man who like needs a police escort to the ring for like everyone else's safety. Mm. I quite like that. Yeah. Anywho, we should do it. Anywho, Ron Raw. We open with a uh, series of backstage kind of challenges between the Outlaws and Triple H, all George Jack and each other. Vince is there, and we end up with the announcement of the Outlaws versus Rock and Austin, and uh, Triple H versus Mankind for the title tonight. So a couple of big matches there. Uh, in the in, in the ratings hit of last week, we get a rematch of Viscera versus Godfather. This time, a lot of heat put on Big Vis, uh, beats Godfather, and then destroys two of the hoes afterwards. A uh, big splash on one of them, and then a. Slam on the other, and yeah, the, a lot the, of focus on this here. There is the violence towards women is so gratuitous; it's, it's very uncomfortable. At various points, I found. Yeah, that's we'll me saying we'll, this. We'll get <laughs> and, to and, later and, in this and show. bearing in mind our big Viss's sort of history of recklessness, quite the quite the perilous position to put these two women in. Who, let's face it, you know, I, I'm not trying to be sort of misogynistic here, but. It, the, but there's nothing to these women, no. is there? Let's face it. Yeah, skin and bones. You, you, you know, something that goes wrong there could, well, be severe anyway. But on s- two people with such slight frame, yeah. Good grief. Edge and Christian beat the Hollies by disqualification in a tag title match. They're on the verge of winning when Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor, dressed as uh, kind of hip hop white boys, interfere for the DQ and the Hardys make the save. So uh, this is the return after months away of what will become too cool. Very happy to see uh, these two back. Especially like how Laura doesn't know who. Uh, uh, well, that looks like Scott Taylor, but who's that other guy? <laughs> yeah. He starts off, I recognise one of them, and then, yeah, it's Scott Taylor. Yeah. Um, I always get kicked out of the Jerry's Kid, Jerry on commentary. He, he, he does have some stellar moments at times. Laura, he still, he still does he's bring got out it, some quality. Yeah. Um, it's funny on their on debut, they're like, no, they're just a joke, but I think within about three weeks, they start getting a little bit of traction. Yeah. It's, it doesn't take them long. It doesn't. Yeah, it's the coming, worm coming out of Survivor Series. Yeah, I think uh, going in. I think they have one match before Survivor Series, and this it's he does the worm. The night there's no the night over at all. He does the worm. There's a little bit. There's a few laughs. They come out at Survivor Series um, doing the 
the dance and the gimmick and so the crowd is starting to gravitate to or they're at least notice them now rather than yeah. apathy which I had and then when he does the worm it's like oh yeah they, they, this guy's going to get over yeah <laughs> it's pretty evident pretty quick with these two yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see where they are in January mm. compared to this like yeah, it's only two months mm. it's pretty amazing the opposite of amazing Big Show versus Albert <laughs> 47 oh, seconds no finish Big Show's wearing a fucking horrible combination of his new Big Show shirt and like tights. living it large, living it large, and then like the tights. So he just looks wearing like this big fucking like baby suit, like baby outfit. Terrible. Bossman comes out and magically the match just kind of ended. He's holding up a pocket watch that he insinuates he stole off Big Show's dad while he's on his deathbed, and threatens to hit it with a hammer, which he does in the end. Uh, big Show kind of approaches him. Big fucking Bossman again, another healer trying to ramp up here instead of Jericho. The fuck are you doing with the boss man in this spot? So anyway, big the boss man hits the big show in the head with a hammer and knocks him off the stage and smashes the watch. Oh, meanwhile, China and D'Lo Brown beat Chris Jericho in a transvestite from the crowd that turns out to be Stevie Richards. It was a really rough start to this show. I know I was thinking of the pay view actually. Yeah, yeah that's rough. As well. This is a rough start to this show. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we finally get some a little bit of quality here. Mankind versus Triple H for the title. Of course, it's a DQ finish because why wouldn't it be? But we do get a great near fall here with the, uh, yeah. the with the belt. Yeah, the, the crowd aren't really buying it early doors, and to be honest, it's hard not to not to blame them. Really, you assume Triple H isn't losing the belt on Raw. Mankind has no momentum going in whatsoever, having recently done the job to Val. Yeah. But yeah, the second that belt shot goes in, they're buying it. Oh fuck, this could be it. This is what finishes look like in the, for the top guys in, in WWF. Of course, he gets the uh, Vandal Claw on, and Val Venus interrupts for the disqualification. So, there you go. Uh, Austin did an interview and actually got a small smattering of booze when he began ripping on The Rock, which I thought was quite interesting there. Not like thunderous booze, but it's like a small undercurrent of people don't like it when he knocks The Rock. At least some people. Um, the Dudleys attack X-Pac and Kane and stole Kane's voice box. The Dudleys, who have been kind of searching for a reason to exist on this show lately, nothing really important that they're doing, but they're kind of just milling around and being involved in like other people's angles. Getting that lot of focus. Um, what was the show, by the way? Is it this show? Is it this show or the... I can't remember where they are. Um, they're in some... It's like, for instance, Green Bay, and it's like... All, all the Packers are in the front row and they're all wearing rock shirts it's not the it's not Green Bay it's not the Packers but it's someone some sports team and all the sports team are basically in the front row and they show them and it's like they're all wearing rock shirts yeah it's like that does a change it's like if Austin attracted one like set of fan demographic rock's bringing in these, these, a new audience as well and that's yeah. the thing that's what that's a boom that's that's what a boom period is Liam attract new new fans to, you, to yes. your product not getting more money out of your existing fan base I would say I agree with that I completely agree with that uh, so we end up with the Dudleys uh, it's actually I think especially Bubba Ray versus Kane uh, in this but, uh, and again we get the same thing where Kane tells X-Pac not to save him why? I don't know so of course the Dudleys are killing Kane before Tori convinces Pac to run in um, of course Kane then gets mad Test versus Bulldog in a cage ends in a disqualification it's almost as if Russo hasn't left <laughs> that's what I mean like oh, you get this oh, fuck I thought this was Russo shit is like some sort of Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> Even though Russo's gone. What would Russo they're still, do? They're still, still sympathising with the kidnapper. Yeah. So we enter the disqualification when the Mean Street Posse runs in. Before they do, Test hits an elbow off the top of the cage that I no one in the world remembers. 
I couldn't believe it. Tess with a fucking elbow off the cage, yeah. and no one remembers it. Why? Well, many reasons, because this wasn't replayed ever. But after the posse to the bone, Shane McMahon fucking bolts up the cage like lightning, and hits the fucking greatest crossbody off the top of the cage you'll ever see. It, it may have even been better than the one that Ray did that time on SmackDown. <laughs> this was so ace, and the people piss themselves. And this was like, Shane's just made himself the fucking man here. Yeah. That was so good. I was, I was stunned. And his punches are all right here because he's beating up his friends and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I appreciated that. So impressive. Steph is starting to get her memory back as well. Oh God. Now you want to talk about tastelessness, Kieran? Earlier in the show, mm. the acolytes go to a bar. <laughs> they bump into an arm wrestler, a local arm wrestler, who. Let me just explain this skit. So he's obviously just trying to be the big shot. He's supposed to be the town douche. I suppose challenges a Bradshaw to an arm wrestling match Farouk says three On the, he's supposed to count three to start the arm wrestling match he just says three Bradshaw flashes the guy on, the, on three the other guy gets pissed and says what doesn't your darky friend know how to count to three yeah man and the word darky is repeated about six times oh it's more than that yeah it's yeah you know how to count to three darky boy <laughs> You're a good boy, aren't you? Like, oh, fuck. All, all I was missing was someone coming out with a massa. Yeah, yeah, this is just all about heavy-handed. Of course, yeah. it leads to an arse kick and the actors just beat the fuck out of him. And just, again, though. And the fruit just goes, is that dark enough for you? Yeah. Again, though, it's just like, get this nasty, horrible feel to this segment. They just the the undercurrent. Yeah. It's not, it's not even a necessary segment. You could have cut this from the, from the show. It wouldn't well, have made any difference. Okay, the, angle's, uh, the angle is... They're bar fighters now. You don't. You could do it. There's any reason. Mm. You got a million reasons to do that. Yeah. Because start a fight. Because they're starting fights with some. Someone, someone knocks their beer over. Anything could be absolutely anything. Yeah. It could just be. Um, just what they did anyway about the whole thing about trying to out their big stars yeah. and it's like, oh, what? You, yeah, the other guy gets fucking uppity and it's like, yeah. no man, I'm just trying to enjoy a beer. And the other guy fucking gets hot at him, so they just yeah, kick yeah, the shit yeah. out of him. You ain't real tough. You're just you're fake tough. It's yeah, just, yeah. You go, Tom. But no, no, no. And Bill Watts would have approved of that. <laughs> but he might have approved of the other people. <laughs> he might have approved of Darky Boy as well. Yeah! in the air like Yosemite Sam. Was this, was this uh, Tim White's bar? Yeah. 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 So. In the main event, then you ain't... a racist Irish. <laughs> well, yeah. You ain't Paul McGrath. <laughs> For all Americans out there, Ireland got their first black guy in 1983. <laughs> I stole that drink. <laughs> of an Irish podcast yeah. in the so it's okay <laughs> yeah in the main event the new age outlaws beat Austin and The Rock when X-Pac interferes with a heel kick on The Rock who of course got pinned <laughs> Triple H can, yeah you know, got fucking DQ in the cage match with the bulldog but Rock has to do, take, take a pin here whose idea that was Triple H came out and they all beat up Rock and Austin after uh, with Triple H putting Austin down with a pedigree gun laying out The Rock with a jackhammer and as they're rushing for time, the DX music starts playing, and X-Pac is trying to throw shirts to everybody in, a, in haste, and everybody kind of realises at the same time, holy shit, it's DX! And the crowd just cheers as soon as the music plays, because... That's what they do. This crowd go. at this point, it's all, it doesn't matter if you're heel or face, at the start of the match, they will um, cheer along with your catchphrase. Um, actually, this, this is probably a more pertinent point going forward next month when Road Dog starts doing his, his, his uh, spiel. Stick. Um, yeah, before the show, we had the debate would Triple H like this or dislike this? Mm. I personally think he wouldn't have liked being put back with DX. Really? Carl, you believe he would? I, I, th- I think 
at this stage, given what's what's gone on, he probably feels a sense of security with the numbers around him, and he gets sort of any any possible shine that they've got. And let's face it, we talked before about how he was the least interesting member of DX back in the day. So I I, just, I wonder if it's sort of a, a sense of security he would feel with the with the three around him. And leading, leading the heel faction, which are going to dominate the show. Take what do you think he wouldn't like? So I just think my gut feeling would be that he wouldn't like sharing limelight. As champion, he should have it all on himself, um, and the stable wouldn't be uh, subsidiary enough to him as it, as it could have been in later years. Um, I would. I just thought he'd have the fear that he's just going to end up in the same position he was couple of years ago and he hasn't really progressed and he's got guys doing their catchphrases in his crew who are getting better reactions to him and there's a big chance when at this point when all the focus should be on him to get over it's going to be diluted that's my good feeling but by the same token we've had X-Pac has been de-emphasised considerably from where he was Billy Gunn has had the awful singles run so he has less value. Well, failed, yeah. So, so that those two have less value to them now than they did previously. So he possibly sees a bit of vulnerability there as well. I'm not like I'm, I'm hypothesising, but I, I, I would agree with you if he'd had a pretty strong start to the title run, but the losing the belt to Vince, the suggestion that he may lose the belt, are unforgiven as well. I just feel like he, he he wants a bit of backup there. He's happy to have his position, his existing position strengthened. Plus, he's got these little caveats oh, almost, to do jobs and stuff as well. Yeah, it's, it's it. almost it's thinking. almost it's almost like a buffer, mm. almost like a buffer zone for him. I think. Yeah, I just think again, like the numbers game is key in the sense that, like, if he's got these guys that are clearly his underlings, they can take up pretty much all the top guys, which means that, and since he's the head of the horse anyway. Mm. No, it, it kind of restricts everybody else kind of getting up, I think. Yeah, I just... Those first few weeks, though, he wasn't strong in the leadership no, position. No, not at all. And he never was. That's the thing. He never no. projected because the other guys had got more charisma than him. And obviously, when he was face. Uh, those first couple of weeks, he was... It's not until it, December that... didn't feel like a world champion. It's not until a certain turn happens in December when he feels that way, to be quite honest. So, I think... And the difference in the crowd reaction to him is noticeable, too. But that is the, the lay of the land on the final Raw of October. A few more notes here before we wrap up. Of course, the ratings. Raw did a 5.6, so only marginally up from last week's 5.4. Nitro did a 3.5, growing. Probably the most significant stat of all is that Raw's rating didn't increase from last week, uh, where it was well below its average over the past few months. This week, the only explanation is that Nitro is starting to close the gap. The strongest rating segment for WF was a 6.2 for the China and D'Lo versus Jericho transvestite match, going head to head with a 2.7 for Buff Bagwell's interview on Nitro. He really hasn't got any stroke, has he? <laughs> In the main event battle, Rock and Austin versus the Outlaws did a 5.7 final quarter and a 5.55 overrun, beating Nitro's Hart versus Goldberg US title change which is a 3.7 quarter and a 3.7 overrun, which was the peak head-to-head rating for Nitro. So, uh, stronger, definitely stronger. Again, marquee match with Brett and Goldberg. Probably mm. will do that for you. Throw, throw it away on TV. Yeah, for free, no build. The whole idea behind the DX getting back together was because the WWF was so thin on the heel side. They were going with Venus and Bulldog as top heels because they had nothing but Triple H, so this was their answer to give that side some depth. I can understand in that context. Yeah, yeah. 
especially losing Jarrett. Um, there has been some talk of eventually putting Bret Hart with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash as another outsider with the idea that Bret was never really accepted in WCW. Okay. How the hell are Nash and Hall outsiders at this point? They've been there about ten years now. Well, Nash is retired. Oh, that's true, yeah. Sorry. But they've been instructed they have to wrestle. And they're on the sheets. So, in a formal sense, they're part of the company. October 29th. Dr. Harvey Schiller quit his post as president of Turner Sports to most likely take a job with George Steinbrenner. How this will affect WCW is unclear. It was Schiller's decision to dump Eric Bischoff and go with Bill Bush, so he's had a pretty major impact on pro wrestling this year. This could wind up being a huge story, depending upon who is chosen as Schiller's replacement and what their attitude about wrestling is, particularly in this era of wrestling when content is based on how far the higher-ups will allow the content to go. And that is a very, actually, kind of ominous precursor, because that's a, quite, quite a big one there. Harvey Schiller, who was the, the guy, and had actually been on television a couple of times um, Yeah, in, um, in 97, I think he appeared a few times on Nitros. Usually with Bischoff and, and yeah. kind of some would, would name, would, from presidency. Would name drop Ted Turner from time to time. Yeah, and here he is. He's now out the door after firing Bischoff, and the guy that replaces him has a totally different perspective on WCW, and it's not for the best. Uh, the final note here, from The Torch. Sources say that Steve Austin may indeed have agreed to turn heel in the coming months. Mm. After the last couple of weeks where he's heard the reactions, apparently he may have agreed. Do you think he's thinking? He's thinking Triple H isn't really taking at this point. Rock certainly is, and he's not going away, and he's not going heel, and if he does go heel, they'll still cheer him over me. Or at least split the crowd against me. So... I can see why he's thinking it, but there's still such massive energy in this crowd that's totally pro Steve Austin. Yeah. This show changes when he's out there, when he's yeah. doing his thing, when he's pursuing the title, pursuing a champion. Uh, the focus on the show, he's he runs the show still. So, yeah. Nah, then there's a discernible difference in the energy when the crowd know he's not going yeah, to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that pretty much wraps us up for October. What a turbulent month it's been. We've seen calamity. <laughs> utter chaos vulgarity <laughs> and pretty much everything in between here so we've seen the, the first couple of uh, shows of Russo your thoughts gentlemen is it everything you hoped it would be and more I was, um, I was just wondering actually do you think is there any um, do you think the change in rating is only a little bit is any is an insider I don't like using that term enough of a niche audience knew about the change and were curious about what it'd mean to give it a chance I almost don't want to give that audience that much credit no, it's only I, a small I, I, I'm considering we, but we, I'm also we, a bit we, of a loss to explain well, we, but we have a ten Brett used more possibly Brett's been used stronger we have a tendency to assume that sort of internet access and internet cover I'm speaking in generality that internet access or internet coverage was as wide scale then as it is now and it's night and day maybe some word of mouth from people who watched the pay-per-view the night before they're thinking that they they're thinking that they're going to see world champion goldberg on the show in terms of that 3.5 it's only it's plateaued anyway but it's it's going to jump a little bit so it's, it's only a negligible thing in the grand scheme of things anyway yeah said this is the thing i always think is quite funny when people talk about this it's like talking like it, it's that big of a deal when we've just seen it like jump and fall yeah. all the time it's like mm. these these little these little point ones week to week 
are worth less than half a fuck. With that said, that pretty much sums us up. Of course, we do have a lot to talk about for the uh, for the remainder of the timeline here. Russo's impact on WCW when he gets momentum going, or at least a little bit more time in his run. Judging by two weeks here, it's just shit all over the place at the moment. Heels, faces, who knows? Kind of got the old guys out of the way. Let's see what he does with it. Mm. I'm sure there's a, a massive original content right around the corner that he's going to unleash upon all of us that hasn't been done before. Yeah, and in terms of the sort of the war analogy type of thing, I made the reference last week that it's more like a neighbourly dispute. Mm-hmm. Well, at this stage, from the way that WCW is acting, it's it's not so much a neighbourly dispute as WWF are that childish and that petty that they've just come, nicked the bins, and WCW thank them for stealing the bins. <laughs> Next week, it's noise complaints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that obviously will tie us in. The next episode will not be a timeline show, we don't believe. November 99 is, of course, next on the timeline docket, if you know your years and your calendar. Uh, yes, yeah, so t- I just need a break. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a break. We've had three straight months. Mate, of- it's the World Cup. I ain't watching. I'm not spending another month watching <laughs> 1999 WCW, goddammit. I've got. Portugal to watch <laughs> and of course with that said uh, there are some big stories up in November notably the vanishing from the scene of Stone Cold Steve Austin so that's going to be mm. hard to talk about there obviously the impact on the product a lot of interesting stuff coming up in the timeline a lot of dirty, kind of strange politics and such and it will break it all down here at SCG Radio and we get to the next episode of the timeline so join us again very much looking forward to hearing uh, the feedback on this show and hope you enjoyed it so for Cole Jones Please don't leave me, Steve. And for Kieran O'Rourke. Can I get a year right? I'm Liam O'Rourke and we're out of here. Talk to you next week. Aww.